In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to you, Lord. Glory to you, Heavenly King, our Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fullest of things, our treasure, of every good and bestower of life. Come and dwell us and cleanse us, stain, and save us all the good one. Those, for example, who have back pains or problems, you know, you're welcome to sit on these couches, etc. So don't, you don't have to sit there. If there's room, sometimes it can be can ruin your back if you've got problems already. We come now to the one, two, three, fourth talk on Elder Paisios. And personally for me, uh, I found the, the journey beneficial and uh, enjoyable. And even though you might think, well, you're the one that's saying it, but the thing is, is as I'm also studying this and then relating it to you, I also receive benefit because a lot of times the things that I read I don't know about. And also, always before the talk, as you notice today, we always do a little memorial prayer for the elder, because he's not been canonised as yet, and that way, if he has found favour with God, then even though we are praying for his forgiveness, or for forgiveness of his sins, for his repose, if he's already in a state of repose, which could be, then we, in return, receive help. So it comes back on us. So that's what they did with Saint Xenia and many of other saints. Before they were officially canonised, even though people would pray to them personally, go to their tombs and pray to them, but they couldn't do us an official service in the church because they weren't canonized. So Saint Nectarius died in 1920, I think, and then he was canonized in the 60s, if I remember right. So Archbishop John died in 1966, and he was canonized in 1994, etc. So sometimes they get canonized after 30 years, 40 years, 50, 60, 100, 200 years sometimes. But meanwhile, the faithful, if they want to do something to get help. They can't go to the priest and say, do us a paraclesis, like a malevin. So they say, can we go to the grave of the saint, or can we do it in church like we did today, to do a trisayu in Greek, or memorial prayer, anakida. And then, if that person who you are doing that for, as I said, has received God's mercy, and is already saved, then, as a reward one can say for doing what we, what you ask for or the priest is doing, then we receive grace in return. So that's, and so what am I doing is I do the, I do this memorial prayer before every talk on the elder so that I can receive his help. Because I, I personally believe that he has found God uh, mercy and that he is saved and therefore that's the what I can do as a priest liturgically, which means when I'm wearing vestments, that's all I can do. I can't do an official prayer in the church to him because he hasn't been canonized. The church has order. 
I can do it personally at home as long as I don't wear the vestments. But we can't do it official services. And that's why I got that icon out, which, had, which we got it from someone who had a mistake on that. We've redone that. Not an icon, the picture of the elder. So that you can have it there, you can have it in your icon stand, and you are permitted, if you feel that faith, to actually pray to the elder to receive help. And I believe, well, I believe we've already received a lot of help because even for me to read through these um, teachings, sometimes I don't understand them. And there's probably a lot that I don't understand still. But those that I tried to explain, I must admit that while I'm explaining them, I feel that a lot of the meaning comes out uh, without me actually knowing the meaning properly beforehand. Or I knew a little bit of the meaning, then I all of a sudden I know more. But of course, my interpretations or my understanding of these are on tape, so if people think that it's wrong, then that's of course they're wrong. They're free to write back and say, well, you said this, this, and this, but it's not that, it's this, which is good. I'd like to know. Anyway, that's, that's my, um, my understanding, as we say in Greek, as Archimandrite Paranabos, where he wrote the book called Katadinami, um, which is like, according to his strength, he tried to explain the, I think it was the Antichrist, maybe. Anyway, something like that. He goes, according to his strength. So according to my strength, which is katadina in Greek, is I try to do this. So that's it. And then you have to go away, think about it, check it with other sources, and you will know for yourself whether it's correct or not. So the elder we said um, died in 1994, and he became one of the most most popular, famous elders of Greece. There's a few others, like Elder Porphyrios, etc. But Elder Paisios is Books have been translated in many languages and many more to come. And people flock from all over Greece, Australia, America, England, all other countries who would go to him. And if they couldn't speak Greek, then they would take an interpreter with them, some other monk or another pilgrim who could speak Greek and their language. For example, I remember once a pilgrim went to... Um, Mount Athos, he was Serbian, and, some, and a Serbian monk wanted to go to meet the elder to ask his, um, his um, idea on certain problems that the person had, the monk had, and he took a young fellow with him who was Serbian, but who also knew Greek, but that way he was able to interpret for him, because the elder did not know how to speak English and other languages, his language was Greek and maybe part of that dialect that they spoke in, in Turkey, I think, the, uh, that was in his village, that he, that he learned from his parents. So let's start with a few, because I, I want to, you know, like, um, I always get a bit depressed, not in a bad sense, but at the end of the talk, I always walk away quite downcast. Why? Uh, maybe it's wrong, but I always walk off saying, um, I wanted to do so much and I only did that much. And there's so much I would I, I like, there's so much that there is there that I like to go through with you. But of course, time is limited. And um, some of you say that the three hours that we stay here at times does not feel like three hours. Some say it feels like an hour, an hour and a half. Some um, find it difficult, but the majority of people that I speak to say I, I don't feel it's three hours. So that's the reason why 
I actually speak so much because people want to hear. Now remember, some of you go, you go or used to go to those stadiums and watch um, football or other type of sports, and those stadiums don't have uh, cushioned seats, from what I remember. They've got hard seats, but you still sat there and watched for hours. I suppose you would get up when you scream um, for some goal or something and then get up. So I suppose that's why it doesn't hurt as much. But that's why we try to have these breaks so that you can... Um, you've got to look and say there has to be a sacrifice and God looks at the sacrifice and He rewards. When you force yourself to do something that you don't want to do, we receive more grace from that than something that we feel like doing. So a person said to me once, I wanted to go to church. I didn't feel like going. I really did not want to go. But I forced myself. And I said to him, and I bet, not being, not being clairvoyant, no, no miraculous powers, I bet that was one of the best services you've been to. He goes, yeah, I just felt so much grace in the church. It's because you forced yourself to go, and God rewarded you with that which you experienced in the church. So let's now go to the first teaching. The elder, as you know from the, a couple of talks before, some of you weren't present, he didn't like people coming to him who did not have a spiritual father. A lot of times he wouldn't even talk to them, and that's in the previous talks, uh, talk 16. The encounters with all the basis, he used to send them away and says, go and find a spiritual father first, then come back to me. He goes, but, 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 uh, you know, you, you can help me if you speak to me. And the elder says, you're clouded, you're darkened. The fact that you haven't confessed, you, whatever I tell you, you're not going to understand. So let's have a look at the first teaching. Only your spiritual father who is close to you can solve your problems. Since I am far away from you, just ask me to pray. So a lot of people used to write to the elder. And I believe that sometimes he would answer them if he was enlightened to do so. But also, a lot of times he couldn't understand where the person was coming from because a lot of times when people write write their problem, they don't really say it properly, they're not really being honest, so therefore the elder hasn't got, the, you know, a lot of times the proper facts, or that person's just been a bit manipulative, or he's lying, or she's lying, and therefore he would say to them, go to, the, go to your spiritual father, or sometimes people would write to the elder to bypass their spiritual father, and sometimes people uh, would just go to the elder out of inquisitors and things like that. So there is uh, a lot of things. In this particular case, whoever he advised to, he said, go to your spiritual father. It is, a, it is a sin for us to seek out these elders when at the same time we don't even go close to our own spiritual fathers and speak to them. And a lot of times, as we'll see, that God can enlighten them. They, as I said, they may not have at times the full answer, but that depends on how we approach the spiritual father, which we'll see as time goes on. Next point, find a good spiritual father, confess to him so you can join the church and everything will go well for you. People don't understand that when we sin, serious sins, not everyday sins, and that's the problem, people don't understand what's an everyday sin, what's a serious sin. Sometimes what's a, every, what's a little sin for us that live in the world for someone who's more spiritually progressed, it's a grave sin. Depends on the person's conscience, how developed they are. So, for example, as we said last week, we can lie, 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 and don't even feel hardly any pain because we're just so used to it. But yet, 
a saintly person who might even do a little lie, which might not be a serious one, just a little lie to maybe protect someone, for them they might not be able to gain their peace. So in the Catholic Church they tend to divide sins up. Now this is a, a serious sin, this is a lesser sin. This, I tend to believe that like um, a person who's stubborn, a person who's not listening to the church, or a person who doesn't even admit their mistakes can be worse than a person who commits adultery or fornication because that might bring that person who falls into repentance and humility, oh, I can't believe what I've done, while the other person in his stubbornness or her stubbornness continues to remain stubborn and cuts off from God. So when you look at it as that kind of Catholic way, which is, oh, that's a bad sin, this is not, that's that, but I, from my experience and what I've read, just a, even a little bit of stubbornness, even a disobedience can be a cause of destruction and being cut off from God. Anyway, when you go to a spiritual father to repent and confess, because it's the, the, the two, the Greeks always say repentance and confession, not just confession, not where you just go to the priest to say your sin, but don't feel repentant. It's got to be both repentant and confession. That means when you say you sin. And always good to pray beforehand because a lot of times we do get, we do have shame, all of us, including myself. We, are, we, have, we go through shame, the demons come, and how are you going to say that, and this and that. And then we can go to the confession and then later on leave without even having said what we were meant to say. So therefore, it's important beforehand, even if it takes one day, two days, three days, four days, five, ten days, to make sure that we have prayed beforehand, asking God, help me to repent and help me to confess and enlighten my spiritual father to tell me the right advice, etc. When people just go like that and come out and they don't receive any benefit, there is a preparation for confession. In a lot of the churches, not in the Greeks as much, but but in, the, in a lot of the, in these Romania and Russia, they used to have things like one week, one week fasting before confession, and things like that. But that's because maybe there was a bit more slackness. In the Greek church, there was more of a movement of communing often, and therefore some practices were different. But in general. We should prepare for confession and not just go, I'm going to confession as you're eating your ice cream or eating a packet of chips or whatever, or eating a McDonald's. You don't just do that and oh, I'm going there now. You've got to be prepared. And if it takes many days to prepare, then prepare. Don't, don't, you don't have to go then. You don't have to have this mentality, oh, I better go and confess now because I might die at this second. That's true. Therefore, you should speed up your preparation. But it doesn't mean that when you go and confess in a cold way, that you leave and then if you die, you're saved when you just went and made a mockery, all of us, of the sacrament of confession. So find a good spiritual father so you can join you, join, so you can join the church. The prayer of forgiveness which the priest says when we're being read the absolution, it says reconcile him to the church, reconcile him or her to the church. 
because our sins cut us away a lot of times. But as I said, it's hard to know when are we really cut off, when are we not, like what sins cut us off, what sins don't. I think it depends on the person's spiritual state. But nevertheless, when the priest reads the prayer, he's actually reconciling the person to the church. Many people ask me to pray for their problem. Of course, I wholeheartedly pray for them and make their problems my own. That was a characteristic of the saint, of the elder. Whatever problems he would hear, he would make it part of himself. He would feel the pain of the person. Not like those psychiatrists you go to and they there and they're, you know, oh, really, they've got no feeling. Because that's what they actually taught as well. You're not allowed to feel. Don't get too involved with the patient. Obviously, because they haven't got priesthood to be able to do that. Or sanctity. Because the elder wasn't a, a priest, but he was holy. And that's what Christ teaches. Carry each other's burden. These people can't do that. And when they do try to do it without God, they actually go crazy. And that's why they've got to stand, stand back emotionally from the patient that they're seeing. And meanwhile, the patient, a lot of times, does not receive much help. But then again, why go there when you can go to um, a priest? Some problems do, do need psychiatrists. We don't cut them completely off. However, you will find that the majority of problems can be solved by the priest. However, nothing can make them believe and realise, as what I was trying to say before, that the basic requirement to, for God to listen to my prayer is for them to have a humble soul. Only then God listens. So, when a person comes to an elder or to a spiritual father, let's just say, and doesn't have a humble soul, then... God will not listen to the prayer of the priest and God will not enlighten the priest. Now, from my little experience, I can tell you the following. I have I've experienced two scenarios when people come to me, whether it's in confession or even just for advice, but I don't do confession anymore because to me it's too great. But let's just stay in the old days, but even now with just people coming to ask advice. If someone comes with humility, uh, the I I find that I understand the person's problem, and I can um, many good things can pour out advising that person, which I'm amazed at myself. Even the the priest yes uh, last week, Father Alexander said that when he when he does confession. And he's listening to the confession and he says to himself, I, I will answer these things. Then suddenly he just says the whole thing changes within him and he just starts saying a completely different answer to what he wasn't prepared to say because God works in the confession. So a lot of it depends on the humility. Now the second scenario, sorry, when that person comes up to me and, or to any priest, but this is my experience, and they are proud haven't got any humility, I find I become confused. My head feels like it's been put into a washing machine and it's spinning around. I just cannot. I just, I, you know, a lot of times I've got to say, um, I don't know. I'll pray for you. I don't know. But if the person comes with humility, true humility, really comes humble to ask for your advice or comes to confession to receive guidance, 
then that person, then the priest, or the monastic, because some monastics aren't priests, even nuns who give guidance, receive God's enlightenment and give excellent advice. So a lot of times people say, why don't we have God-bearing elders, especially here in Australia, in other Western countries? Why don't we have God-bearing elders or eldresses like we have in Greece and Serbia in Russia, Romania and all those other countries? Why? Because, I read once, it was an excellent answer, because there are no humble, obedient disciples. In other words, people lack humility, people lack obedience, and therefore God does not give these people to us. So the elder says, when they come with a humble soul, only then God listens. Otherwise, even if all the angels and saints ask for his mercy on behalf of that person, he will not respond to their prayers. So this is very powerful that Elder Paisu says that even if the angels and the saints ask on behalf of that person who does not have humility, he will, that, that God will not respond to their prayers. To, those, to the angels and the saints. For his response will harm the person who asks for something with a proud mindset. So if the person's proud and then their prayers are, <clears throat> God answers their prayers, etc., it will harm them. It will reinforce their pride. Oh, look, I never listened to anyone and I still, God still listens to me. Elder Paisios, we are thinking of getting married. What is your opinion? And then the elder answers. If you have a spiritual referee, you know, like a boxing referee or a wrestling referee, if you have, because sometimes weddings are, marriages are like a boxing match, if you have a spiritual referee and obey whatever he says, since this is the way to solve your differences, then get married the sooner, the soon as possible and be careful not to have sexual intercourse before your wedding. So, the other one, the, the last part obviously is obvious, but the, um, the part about the spiritual referee is really good. And I think I will go to one more where he talks about marriage, then, we'll, then we can look at that. Uh, when I was a lay person, I went to a priest and I said to him, I'm thinking of becoming a, a priest, what do you think? He says, that's okay, yes, you can become a guy, but from my experience, he said, and when, I, when, when, when he said this to me, I kind of didn't, didn't really comprehend it until I became. He said, oh, do you know what it's like to sit between a married couple that are tearing each other apart and you cannot reconcile them? It's unbearable. And I said, yes, yes. But you see, only when I became did I understand what he was talking about. When there's a lack of humility, you can't do much between couples. I've actually tried that, where I was, a, where I have been a spiritual for both. That's my experience. I might have been a rotten spiritual, but probably I was. But the point is, I'll just tell you what I experienced: that I had couples where uh, I was the spiritual, and then I would try to help. But you know, when you when you said, "Look, that person's got a point there," then that person would become horrible. And when you said, "You've got a point," then she would become horrible. And at the end, you just said goodbye. I'm not. I'm not. You know, go 
Go find someone else to and give them some Panadols while you're at it. <laughs> it is for the benefit of the married couple to have the same spiritual father. He acts in the same way as the carpenter does. Remember that Elder Paisos was a carpenter, and later on he became uh, he was in the army. So he uses a lot of examples from carpentry, and he also uses a lot of examples from the army because he was a radio operator. Just like myself, I use a lot of examples from my teaching background because I used to teach, so I, it just comes to me because I did it for so many years. So, and then other, other, other spiritual fathers, elders, etc., they, you might, if they were farmers, they use from the farming experience. If they were businessmen beforehand, then they would use expansive examples of economics and commerce. That's just part of um, a person. He was a carpenter. He, and the reason why he became a carpenter is because he wanted to imitate Christ as being a carpenter. Of course, don't tell parents today, because if some, if their child wanted to become a carpenter, it's looked down at because it's not a lawyer or a doctor and other professions, which I disagree. It actually makes me sick that people say, I want to become a mechanic, and parents discourage. I want to be something else, you know, and they don't understand. Well, you can encourage the child, but don't sit there with your face to the ground and show such disapproval, and then the child becomes bitter against the parents and on purpose will do things to bother the parents as a revenge because the parents never accepted them. So it's very dangerous. We don't have to have everyone educated. In God's eyes, if you read the lives of saints, you'll see saints that were carpenters, saints that were tailors, saints that were shopkeepers, saints that were slaves, saints that were even women that were part of a harem, and you know what that means, what they have to do, and yet they still became saints because they were forced into that life. We had saints that were teachers and saints that were kings and queens and everything. Poor people, sick people, saints that were lepers. We don't have to, you know, this mentality of making our children something because we want to get an ego kick out of it is not right. You can encourage, but don't force because I have dealt with those children that later on became adults. They've got a lot of resentment towards their parents. One fellow wanted to become a builder. And his father said to him, you know, do business. The world's now becoming more business and you do business, you get a lot of money. So this silly person did business. So he went and did commerce and economics at the university for three, four years. By the way, he didn't even do economics or commerce in year up to 10. And in year 11 and 12, didn't even do economics or business studies. You know, anything. And all of a sudden, he goes to university and starts this, this commerce and economics. And he found it excruciating. And later on, he suffered, and he became mentally disturbed from all the stress that he went through because he was doing a subject which he didn't, he didn't, he couldn't really do. He suffered. He failed a few of that subjects, but to redo them, it took him four years instead of three years to do his bachelor of uh, whatever it was. And at the end, uh, he left economics and commerce. He couldn't even do. He couldn't even sit down at the desk because it wasn't him. He was a practical person, but he listened and that mucked up. You might say, should we be obedient to our parents? Uh, yes, but at the same time, we have to really realise that sometimes we have to explain to our parents it's not right in, in a respectful way and pray that your parents to be enlightened that they allow you 
Just like Elder Basra says, if you want to become a monk or a nun and your parents are against that, then you must pray for them to be enlightened and perhaps the obstruction that you're experiencing is for good, to make you stronger, to see whether you really want to become a monastic. So a lot of times these, um, but then we have other saints who actually wanted to become like Saint Theodosios of the Kiev, uh, of the, the Russian. I can't remember. Anyway, there's a lot of examples of even Elder Porfirius, which we'll learn next year. He left without his parents' blessing, and others wouldn't leave without their parents' blessing. Who's right and who's wrong? Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. So some people say, look, I love God and I want to go and become monastic. If my parents don't let me, I'm still going to go. Others say, I want to wait for my parents' blessing. So both are, have got the, um, both, are, both are all right, but we have to look at the individual, the person. The person, for example, who later on says, I'm not going to listen to my parents and I'm going to go ahead and go to the monastery and become a monastic. Later on, the demons can play on that person and say, you're not going well in your monastic life because you didn't get a blessing from your parents and make the person born to despair and give up. So it depends on the psychological, spiritual state of the person. All these play, play a role. So, Saint, so the elder said that like a carpenter, when he joins two pieces of wood, he cuts off the knobs and the two pieces become smooth and he can easily join them. It is best for all the members of the family to have the same spiritual father so he will know their problems and be able to give proper advice to each one of them. That does occur in many parishes where people do have family will have the same spiritual father. Some people don't want that because a person, for example, the man in that family, might not want his wife to go to the spiritual father and say what he's doing at home or vice versa. So they kind of, some people try to separate and have different spiritual fathers, that's not good because that means you're doing it out of evil intent so that you won't be exposed. And then we go to um, another part here. When, this is important too, uh, when you've got a pot and it's boiling, the flies their flies uh, stay away from it, obviously. So when you've got a pot and you've got the lid off, you haven't got to worry that some fly is going to fall in there because it's so hot, it can't even go near. When it's not boiling, they fall inside. The same thing happens to our souls. If they're close to the spiritual father and the church's mysteries, then the devil stays away. So that's really um, uh, an important point. The demons hate a person who is close to their spiritual father. Because when the, per when the person, because, because the demons will try in all ways to deceive the person through thoughts. But when that person goes to the spiritual father and exposes his thoughts, which he might not even think is bad or she might think is bad, then the spiritual father, being enlightened by God, because God says the humility of the person asking, that we then... God can enlighten the spiritual father to say, I think there's something wrong with that. That's, I think you're going to be tricked. For example, a person I know changed. He changed lives. He, he used to be a person, he used to go out. This guy's going out and uh, he changed. 
but he did stay close to the spiritual father. So he had an idea. He wanted to give some money to the poor. And he thought, why don't I go down towards the, uh, to go and give money to the people in the street. That was his idea. Sounds like a good idea. And the idea that he, that, that he had was to go down towards the cross, King's Cross, which for those people that understand from that this is the tag, it's like a red light district. Not, 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 with a lot of drugs, a lot of um, uh, drunkenness and discos and clubs and things like that. And that was his thought to go down there. And the spirit, so he said to the spiritual father, which is which is which is important. I'm thinking of doing this. He goes, don't do that, because you used to go to those places. It's the demons which are making you go down there, so that you so it can ignite in you again the passions, and you fall. And the person was dumbstruck, didn't even think of it. So that was a very beneficial thing. That's why it's good to stay always close and express our feelings and thoughts. Now, if the spiritual father is simple at times, or if the spiritual father might not have that discernment, like a lot of the elders did, obviously the elders, that's why people used to go. People that had spiritual fathers in Russia or in Greece, in the, you know, in the villages or in the um, cities, still... They were given with the blessing of their spiritual father, went to Mount Athos, or in Russia, they went to monasteries to go and find some elders to get a little bit more detail on their spiritual life. But in general, even if the spiritual father makes a mistake, uh, but God sees your humility, then you won't be harmed because God will protect you. Because you went to his priest. And even if the priest made a mistake, somehow God will arrange it that you will be, yet you will find out the truth. Maybe the spiritual father might change his mind later on, or um, just some something happens to protect you from a wrong decision that could have been set. Father, I constantly sleep. What will become of me? It does not matter. The more you sleep, the less thoughts you have and the less sins you commit. Now, this is a particular... And I believe this too. This is a particular advice for someone who obviously was suffering from a lot of thoughts, maybe a depressed person, and sleep does do good for those people. They shouldn't try and stay awake and be on uh, going out a lot, drink a lot of caffeine and other drinks to keep them awake, um, be on the computer all night. Because these souls need rest. In general, we all need rest. And it's also been proven that people aren't sleeping enough, and I believe that a lot of mental problems which exist today come from lack of sleep, not because of some someone's done something to us or whatever. You know, that, that could be true, which we explained last week. But the majority of times it could even be as simple as not eating properly, Fasting too much at times, for some people actually do start to lose it. They've got some health issues. And also it can be lack of sleep. And that, they found that um, air traffic control people that got that up there for the, for the airplanes, they do, I think, long hours and it's a very stressful job. And uh, doctors, they do extremely long hours, especially the ones that work in the hospitals, those ones. Long, long hours. 
and they kind of noticed that these people had similar symptoms to women who just had a baby. And well, obviously, a man can't have postnatal depression, unless it's that supposed man who had a baby, which was so ridiculous because it wasn't even a man. So I don't know how they, how they advertised man, man is pregnant and all these things. It wasn't even a man, it was a woman. So I don't know how people are so stupid to actually believe and buy the newspaper to read about someone who's a woman having a baby. So it's just for me. But anyway, in general, unless you belong to a, a different, I don't know, um, dimension, men don't have postnatal depression. And, uh, but yet, the symptoms were similar. And what they discovered is that it was not, it's women who are suffering a lot of times, apart from their hormonal imbalance because they just had a baby, a lot of their problems comes from fatigue, tiredness. They start getting irritable. They start having intrusive thoughts. And these other people, doctors and other people that have the same, because having a baby is very stressful, taking care of the child in the first years of its life is extremely stressful, and that, has, that gives off certain symptoms. And these symptoms are similar. So it just comes from lack of rest, lack of sleep, Simple as that. So you go to a doctor and you give them the symptoms, they go, oh, you've got postnatal, here's some antidepressants. A doctor goes to the, um, uh, the doctor who has long hours, oh, I've got thoughts and I get aggressive. Oh, you must have a personality disorder. I better give you some um, lithium or something. So, or Libra, or what you call them, some really heavy drugs because you sound like you're psychotic, right? Now, all of us, if we don't get enough sleep, all of us, if we don't get enough sleep, what happens to us? We get what's called cranky. And we can't tolerate much. And little things bother us. We can, even if we're really fatigued, start becoming paranoid. You don't have to go to uh, Dr. Dope to say to him <laughs> that I got these symptoms and then for him to say, oh no, you've got to take some antipsychotic medication because you're really lost. I'm exaggerating, but that's what they do. When all the person needs is to rest. Or they go to a priest who, who lacks some experience. And the person says, I've got these temptations that people, I get angry, I get this, I get youthful. He goes, the demons are bothering you. Or, I think you're possessed. Which some priests do that. And uh, so we have the two extremes. We have the priests who don't believe in hardly anything. Then we have the priests that believe that every single thing is demonic. So we've got the extremes. A lot of times it's just physical reasons, emotional reasons. Children, as I said before, they go to the doctor, they take the doctor, they go, oh, the, the child's got ADHD and things like that. It might not be. It might be the fact that the parents have just divorced or the parents are fighting at home. Or, or you've got to ask a few questions. When people ring me up or come to me and ask me, uh, say to me, what's this and this and this? I'm not going to just sit down and give an answer like that. I, wanna, I, sit, I actually will take 20 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour if I have to, and I will ask every question that I can. It doesn't take long to work out what's going on. A lot of times it's not what they think. That's what spiritual fathers do in Greece too. They sit down and ask questions. And, and, and here, the ones, same things. So, 
sleep's important, and when we sleep, we uh, when we have more rest, then we have less thoughts. If you're on the computer all night, and your minds are going a million miles per hour, as probably your minds are going as fast as your processor. So if you've got a really good processor, then your mind will probably go at the same speed, and you're basically so <clears throat> ignited, so alert, that you can't even sleep later. All these things are causing spiritual problems. People can't pray. People have intrusive thoughts. They can't control their thoughts. Not only because of what they've seen, but because their minds are so pumped with everything, they, and they're so tired, they can't, they can't fight their thoughts. And that's why these things are dangerous. There are people, of course, who are truly mentally ill, but let's not try and say that everyone is, and to be like in America, in this country, but especially in America, where there's millions and millions of people on antidepressants. And they're starting now to say that this is really bad, especially for our children who are on very heavy medication. And even here they're starting to say, hey, like an epidemic, this is really bad. Children are damaged. A lot of parents take them off their stuff. But, you know, those who are going to listen to the talk here and those who have listened to on the CD, don't just abruptly cut off medication. Oh, the priest said that that's not... You don't know what's the problem with yourself or your children or your husband or your wife or whatever. Don't just abruptly do things because abrupt... Uh, like an abrupt stop of these um, medications can also have really bad side effects. It's dangerous. So you still got to be careful. Don't do that, or you can have a catastrophe. A lot of those shootings in America, those school shootings, they've proved, they've shown that, if not all of them, were on, were on, or have been on, or were coming off antidepressants. But there are people who need them, so we're going to make that clear. The proof of the authenticity of the spiritual condition of a of a confessor, in other words. To show that someone's a true spiritual father, confessor, is that while he's very strict with himself, he's lenient with others and does not use the canons of the church, the rules of the church, like cannonballs against them. Because some spiritual fathers you go to do lack some discernment and they try to use, try to have their book there of the canons and apply them as the canons say without looking at the situation of each person. So what, he's, what the elders say is like making an analogy. Canons of the church are the rules, but also there's canons like boom, boom. Do you know cannonballs? So it's a spiritual father who's um, not very discerning and lacks the spirituality will be strict to the point that when a person comes to them, then it's like he's saying, this canon says this, you know, bam. And it's like he's got a like one of those old-fashioned cannons, and he's just and he's just blowing the person each time and terrorizing them and saying, "Oh, that well, that that's sin. Yeah, I know you, you know you can't commune for ten years, or that's this and this, that and that." So these things is what he's trying to say. Uh, true spiritual father, ones that I met overseas, especially in Greece, I've been to Russia, were very, very loving, very understanding, and didn't. I remember once someone went to a spiritual father in. Uh, Greece, I think, I can't remember. 
and he, well, he told me that he's confessed some sins, and some of them were of the sexual nature, and the spiritual father says, and how did you do such a thing? Didn't you, weren't you repulsed? This, the spiritual father said to the um, person, and then he said the magic words, which was uh, quite shocking, I'm a spiritual father, and I've never done that, and that's why I'm a priest. So that that person had gone a bit beyond. He'd lost himself to actually say, I am above. A person that hears that is not going to be happy. So there are spiritual fathers that are loving, spiritual fathers that are discerning, and spiritual fathers that have these canons, and, you know, you might have to, when you've gone away, you might need that, you know, like a, a hand replacement or a leg replacement, what do they do when they come back from the walls? Um, then we go to, which, I mean, it's bad to say, I don't like saying those things, but unfortunately, he said it. So, who's got any questions so far? Nice questions. Humble questions. Uh, anyone? Sorry, Greg, can you just start again a little bit? Start again? Yes, my question is, who no. can be a spiritual father? Can it be monk, monk, or it should be priest only? Is spiritual father for all life, or you can change your life? For example, you're living in Russia for more than living for 10 years in Australia. If you had a spiritual father in another country which really loved you and cared for your soul, then there's no reason why you can't ring that person for advice, asking for prayers. There's no reason why you can't write to that person if that person cares for your soul. Because you've got to find a spiritual father that cares for your soul. Um, Obviously, you've got to find someone here where you are so that you can receive absolution, which is can be a confessor. But as long as you tell the confessor, look, I have a person that I get advice from overseas, and that's okay as well. That happens a lot. A spiritual father can be a priest. It can be a married priest, but it can also be a priest monk. Um, Elder Bezos was not as such a spiritual father, even though he was above, because he was uh, near monk. So he couldn't give the absolution of sins, but we have read that they had such an authority by God that they used to take on the sins of people and struggle and receive forgiveness for that person themselves, take on the sins and then struggle on their behalf. These are exceptions. But in general, uh, yes, it can be a married priest, it can be a... Now, some people believe that if you go to a, it's better to go to a married priest if you're married because they can help better. And that monks, priest monks, can't really help. Now, there might be some truth there. Some monks might not be able to help. But in general, if you look at those books at the back of the elders, uh, they're just about all priest monks. They're all monks, priest monks. And uh, there's one there. Father Dimitrios Kostathos, which was a married priest, and a few others that were married priests, not a Kronstadt. But in general, 
those who were in Russia, Serbia, who helped people, in, in particular married people, were monks. So therefore the theory that because someone's a monk is not married, can they kind of be a married person, not correct. However, there are some priest monks that are in the world who are not really leading a spiritual life. And as Elder Paisra says, we say Yeromonapo, which means <coughs> priest monk. And he says Ohimonapo, which means not a monk. Because those, those priest monks that were in the world, a lot of times became hostile towards monasticism. Hostile even towards piety of people because they themselves weren't doing it. So they used to feel guilty and they used to attack those who wanted to be pious. There are a few, but when you see them, you just stick clean and go somewhere else. But they do exist. But in general, don't be of the theory that because someone is a priest monk, that they cannot help. Because I tell you that, they, that a lot of times they can help better than some married priests. I remember one person came to me years and years ago, and he thought that I was too strict. Somehow, in his little mind, he had to think, oh, because he's a monk, he's too strict, he doesn't understand about married people, whatever, whatever, whatever. So I told him what well, I believe on certain things about married life. So he rang up a priest from Greece, a very good priest, a spiritual priest, really, really spiritual priest. And he asked him the same question he asked me, which was to do with abstinence, you know, when, does, when do couples abstain from relationships and all that. I told him certain things. And then he went to this other priest, a married priest, and he came back to me with <coughs> his face was like disturbed, like someone punched him. And um, I said, what's wrong? And he says, oh, he told me more, he told me to abstain for more days than what you said. So, um, that's how it is. Sometimes that's how I have, I have experienced that sometimes married priests, um, in matters of certain things, and even some of them, for matters of, um, you'd be surprised that even for uh, uh, sexual temptations, they seem to be less understanding than what the priest monks are. So, I don't know, that's just a bit funny. But there are many who are good. Don't get me wrong, there are a lot which are good, but there are those few that are like that. Now, this one here, uh, a person who is possessed by the devil or is under the spell of witchcraft must not be taken around different churches for help by his relatives. Now, there is a practice, especially in Greece, maybe I think in Russia as well, that people who are uh, possessed or have some spell on them or be believe themselves that they've got something on them or their relatives believe they've got something on them, so it might not be. But also, let's assume for this argument's sake that they do have something on them. It's been, you know, they sh and what these, a lot of times a lot of relatives do, these people is drag them around to all different churches in Greece. St. Spiridon, St. Gerasimo, St. Denis of Zarkonthos, and all different relics and icons, and, you know, um, especially one particular one is St. Gerasimus of Catalonia. He's renowned for his help with the demon-possessed. <laughs> And I've been there um, a couple of times on the feast day, and some other people have been there. And, you know, these people that are possessed can become quite aggressive. Once someone said to me that they were there, and the abbess was standing in church. One of the possessed persons, one of the, one of, a possessed woman went up to her and gave her this kick, really hard kick on the shins. And um, the abbess just remained completely unmoved because these people that... 
these demon-possessed people, they, well, the demons within them don't like humility. So when they actually slap or hit or whatever they do to the priests or to the nuns or monks and they remain unmoved, it burns them. And actually a lot of times that can help the person to rid them. But anyway, in general, the elder here is against this constantly going around to places. He said, uh, instead they must find an enlightened spiritual father who with God's grace will detect what caused him to be possessed by the devil when he tells them what is the will of God, they should act accordingly for their own benefit. That's the most important thing the elder says, not going around. I know someone who telephones at times and they they have a relative which is like that here in Australia. And uh, they often go into this Greek, which is like a Christ, they go into this demonic state. And uh, she is that way. And this, they continually take us somewhere to be read exorcisms. Now, on another part, the elder says, don't get exorcisms read continually because the demons, out of revenge, will torment the person more. Now, that's interesting because people say, but isn't that what we should get? We should go and get exorcisms done. And the... And, and again, from my own experience on this, I noticed that you can read a person as many ex ex exorcisms as you want, but it doesn't help. And then this, then the elder made it make more sense to me where he says, because the person has to lead a spiritual life, has to have a spiritual father, listen to the spiritual father and change their life and look for what's in them that may have caused them to become possessed or at least even to detect whether perhaps someone did it or maybe their parents cursed them because that's another section which Elder Paisius talks about is the curses from parents or curses from people in general and he said that curses do, can grab especially when it's done with uh, anger, like a if someone's done something to you and then you curse that person, say someone stole something from you, then you in anger say, to say, uh, you know, may that person be cursed. That person can actually get sick. And then the elder says there that the person who cursed will go to hell if they don't repent. Because it's, it, you, can't, you shouldn't curse anyone. You know, there are some exceptions which we'll leave for another time. And the person who is being cursed, it begins to suffer, then that person is suffering in this world, which means their suffering in the next world will be less. But a lot of times what happens is when the person's suffering, they start to examine themselves and hence the importance of going to a spiritual father who slowly, slowly, with God's help, will say, come on, let's look at your life. What do you feel? What? With prayer? And the person might say, oh, I don't know. Well, once I, I'm, a, I'm a plumber and I went to this place and I did a job and it's not a thing. This is what happens. And then it was a, it was a, a widow and she didn't understand much. And I said to her, oh, this job's going to cost $1,000 when it was only a job which really cost $50. 
and he robbed her. Later on, she realized it, and from her anger from within, from her sense of being wronged, she let out a curse, and that person got sick. And then the older, and then the spiritual person got that. What's, you have to repent of that. You have to fix that up. Go give the money back. Fix it up. The elder also says that the curse can also go on the family. And he also says that sometimes when you see whole families just having complete, like wiped out, people dying, getting sick or whatever, a lot of times it could be that someone has placed a curse on that family. Elder Paisio says from the book that he wrote on Elder Arsenius of Cappadocia, that is a little note there, where he says when he was getting the French translation done, some people told him, leave out references to demon possession, etc. Because people in Europe won't understand. And I add to that. And people in Australia and people in general in Western countries do not understand that. And they become scandalized. And because they try to rationalize spirituality. They try to understand the spiritual world with their minds. Or because you've gone to university, some of you, and have studied, you know, maths or whatever you've studied, and then you understood it with your mind, it doesn't mean that you can understand spiritual things with your mind. When you do try to understand spiritual things with your mind, you will become deceived. And you will be hurt. And it will lead you into unbelief. The Roman Catholic Church, that's what they did. They lost a long time ago the grace that exists um, within the church. And therefore, the only way they could really understand things was with their minds, especially the Jesuits. And they uh, tried to rationalize everything with their minds to say, we will understand God with our minds. And what happened then? What did it lead them to? St. Nicholas can't be a saint because the miracles that he did just sounds too far-fetched, so therefore he's no longer a saint in the Roman Catholic Church. St. Catherine, it's just, it's just too much. And turning wheels and all these things, that can't be correct. So she's not a saint anymore in the Roman Catholic Church. And so many other things of, of, of miracles, etc., that exist, they've cut away. Now, there are also those type of people in the Orthodox Church. I call them the mod squad. But they are actually theologians or priests or deacons or monks or nuns. Usually they're not monks and nuns, but it's to say there are a few of them. And these are modernists who try to say to people that orthodoxy must be rationalised. We have to understand it with our minds. And what's this miracle? And what's this enlightenment? And this person knew the future. And this person did. They don't want any of those things. Because they don't understand it. How can it be done? So we do have those people, even within the um, Orthodox Church. But thanks God that we have still many, many elders and elderses of monasticism uh, in the Orthodox Church, which still keeps that spirituality, the true spirituality, which unfortunately has been lost, especially from those who have gone to as the elders themselves say, to a lot of theological schools where they try to learn things for exams, try to understand things intellectually, they come out, and unfortunately, I wanted to do that. I Personally, I, would, I, was, I was thinking to study 
the theology, etc. And I decided I didn't want to. Because I didn't want to come out an atheist. It doesn't mean that everyone that comes out of those places are atheists. St. Nectarius had a theological degree. St. Eustin Povich had a theological degree. St. John Archbishop of Shanghai in San Francisco had a theological degree. We have many other saints. But we also have many that, that didn't. Now, all because some of them went through the theological process and came out of it and became saints, it doesn't necessarily mean that others are being benefited from it. But Elder Baisos had no theological degree. Elder Zavakos, no theological degree. Elder Yosef of Manalthus, no theological degree. Elder Porfirios, nothing. We have all these elders and elderses that we've got coming out of Russia and Greece. A lot of them do not have that. So we have to get out of the mind that, oh, only if someone has those degrees that that means that they can speak. A lot of times they can be quite spiritual people, and I've met people that have studied, but they were spiritual before they went in. They, they struggled while they were um, at these theological schools like in Jordanville in New York, Russian, the, the Russian seminary there, they belong to a monastery. The students are part of a monastery. They go to the daily services. They partake of the spiritual life. So while they're studying, they're also <coughs> learning um, the spiritual life, looking at monks and dealing and confessing and praying and, and fasting, etc. While there are others that might go to the University of Athens or the University of Salonika or whatever, and, and there's, that does not exist. And a lot of times, a lot of the professors that belong to these places don't believe. And that's why a lot of the elders, if you read them, you will notice that they speak quite harshly. And some even say, look, some, some write to them and go, look, I'm thinking of going to the University of Athens, say, to study theology. And he says, look, if you want to listen to me, don't go because you will lose a lot. Some others who the elders might perceive that they are strong, that they can go through it without being affected, they'll say, okay, go there, because unfortunately today, to be to have a position in the church, you have to have a theological degree. To be a bishop in the church, you have to have a theological degree. So the elders say to themselves, we need to have good people to become bishops, and therefore they would bless certain people to go and study these degrees as a necessity, so as to use them as a way also as a stepping stone. But also, you can learn from these courses if you have the spiritual, um, if you have humility. Remember what the elders say. A theologian is one who prays. And one who prays is a theologian. A true theologian is a person who prays and leads a spiritual life. That is what a theologian is. Not a person who just goes to university and sits for, for subjects and gets some distinctions, high distinctions, and does some really nice essays, such that when they come out, their sermons sound like a university lecture. And it just uh, people say to me, oh, I went to such and such a person, and he had a theological degree. I go, that's good, yeah, what happened? He goes, I couldn't understand nothing he was saying. <laughs> and this person was a teacher who had been teaching for 10, 12 years. I go, but you teach, you, you know, you're, you're um, you're educated, you're, you've done a degree. He goes, I couldn't understand what they were talking about. So that is why I understand. To me, it's just like um, I want to pull out what little I've got left and say, why, why do that? Perhaps they want to impress people with their complex theological expression. But why? 
people, people come to these talks to learn, not to be in awe of a person who is rattling off uh, beautiful theological terms which no one can understand. That's, that's, that's my opinion. I mean, it might be different for some people. So, children, as long as they are young, are like angels. When they enter their teens and the pleasures of the flesh is introduced, that is the sexual pleasures in their lives, they become small beasts. In orthodox spirituality, it is true that uh, sexual sins do cut us away from God. And what's needed is repentance and struggles against it. Some people by nature, either because they learnt from young or because they are that way inclined by nature, do find it difficult to hold themselves and to fall, etc. And God looks at their repentance and the, how much they want to try and stop. The elder says in another place, he says, a person who is pure by nature, St. John Climacus also says that, St. John of the Latter, he says, a person who's pure by nature, a person who's just not a sexually no, ignited type of person, he goes, they can, they can refrain from that sin, from those sins, easily. And St. John Primacus says that they have no reward because it's natural to them. Just like someone who by nature is an angry person. It's in his nature or her nature. And they fight it. They still conform to anger, but they fight it. They receive rewards because they're going through a martyrdom. But those who are meek by nature, because there are some who are meek by nature, they don't get angry. You can do whatever you want to them. You can throw a dart on them. They don't, they don't react. They don't care. Right? So that's how some people are, by nature. He goes, they don't receive a reward. The ones who, so we shouldn't go into despair. And some of you might say, oh, you know, I've got these problems again. For what's coming to me, I'm going to go to hell. No, that God looks at how much you want to stop it and how much you are struggling to stop it and how much you are repenting about it. And that's what God looks at. And those people receive great rewards. So we shouldn't fall into despair and go, oh, well, when I was young, I didn't know and I fell into these things or whatever and now I'm, there's no chance, no. Even if a person is finding it excruciating and can't even stop, let's just say, because it's so much in them, then God will, will judge them according to how much they want to stop. Because that's for free. That's just within the person. A person can want to stop and a person cannot want to stop. So the person who wants to stop will be judged, even if they're falling, but they will be judged according to the pain that they've got and how much they want to stop and how much they're trying, even if they fail. <coughs> Any questions so far? Yes? Helen. Um, this is people. Um, you're saying like... Thank you. That's good. Um, everyone complains that I don't repeat the question, so that's what we need. 
Your question is, if a person is possessed, how can they even be able to talk to the spiritual mind? There are two, there are different degrees of it. The ones, there were some in the gospel who were completely, completely possessed and there's nothing that you can do with them. And God, even though those, they themselves weren't seeking to be healed, God healed them. Or their relatives, they can be healed due to the prayers and faith of their relatives. But in general, a lot of possessed people, when they're not in their crisis, speak normally. For example, when I was in Jerusalem on a pilgrimage, um, we were at some mother of God's birthplace, I think I remember right. And all of a sudden, this person began to howl. It was a woman. She began to howl and, you know, it was quite a, a shocking thing because, I mean, I've seen them before, but it just it was sudden. As soon as she went near the tomb, she began to go like that. And um, they become stiff as a board, they can fall down, you know, they don't even hurt themselves. That condition falls flat, like a like on a cement pavement, and nothing happens to them. You know, their tongues come out, and you know, all these, their faces become completely, that's all signs of that type of thing. Um, this woman was acting like that, and uh, then the priest, you know, read her a few things, whatever, and then gave her some holy water. Later on, she was normal. She was on the pilgrimage, and she was uh, venerating. She was a very pious, very pious woman. And I asked her, I wasn't a priest, I was a lay person, and she said to me, look, you might see me suffering at that time, and, I, and, and um, that's true, but that suffering that I go through brings me closer to Christ, because I know that only Christ is the one who can actually um, uh, comfort me. So they're not always in a state. You have possessed people who are who remain unrepentant and impious, as we say, that's the correct word, and we have those who are possessed and are repentant and are pious. So it's still they've got their free will. Some of them are beyond, they've got no free will, and God judges them according to the way he knows. So um, yes, no, a lot of possessed people can go. Like the woman I was talking to you about before that's somewhere here, she actually can go to a spiritual father, she can talk to a spiritual father, and it just comes on her at times, and at that time, you know, she exposes things, <coughs> she says things and speaks with, speaks with the voice of the, the demon and says things which are, you know, there's no way she would know, especially the sins of people in the, in the audience. Personally, I don't go to those things. Because I used to go, I don't like it. Why? Because they, those demons are very tricky and they can say things to try and um, uh, trick you. So, for example, they might say, um, you last night fornicated such and such and you last night stole that. Okay, which could be true. And then people are shocked because it's true, that person, that person. And then they're very tricky and they go to... They might go to another person or to the priest and go, and you did this, this, and this. And the people say to themselves, not having the experience, go, well, if he was right about that and right about that person, he must be right about that person. So they trick. And the other thing that they do is that they actually can start praising. And you can fall into deception. So, for example, they might say, oh, you know, you, your prayers that you did last night, because they know, the prayers that you did last night, they scorched me. Your, your prayers that go to God and then it makes the person conceited and can fall into deception. Well, I don't want to hear those things. So I don't go. 
and I avoid them as well because I don't have the ability because I believe that this type comes out with prayer and fasting and I'm a person that lives in the world and I've got a lot of sicknesses so my prayer and fasting is a bit limited compared to that. They have to go and find a, a priest or, a, you know, a lot of the times all they're going to do is just confess and fix themselves up and find out the reason. But in general, if they are to get exorcisms done, they need to find a spiritual person who is focused and leading a very deep, contemplative life. Even St. John of Cronstein didn't do them. Even some of the elders of Optina didn't do them because they were involved with a lot of people and they never had that peace to the extent that some of these other people have that are cut off from the world and live in a set of lives. That's what I think, but that's, yeah. You know. Does that answer your question? Ah, let uh, me just guess. Evangelos, yes. I haven't got it written, I was just trying to guess. <laughs> yeah? Um, it's a different question. Something you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of um, people, clergy, all sorts of stuff all around the world, Australia, all over the place, that sometimes teach things in a foreign to orthodoxy, and they're obviously in the orthodox church. Um, and you see that they're teaching these things, you see clearly that they're wrong, and they're teaching them to many people who might be new to the faith and might not know. What do we do? You know, what can we do? Because we still have to love them and respect them because they have the priesthood, but they're teaching things that are foreign. We were simple lay people. What are, what are some of the things we can do? I believe your question is sincere, and I believe that um, you've got no motivation behind it. It's, it's, it's a. Uh, can you say it again, Father? Oh, good, thank you. <laughs> the, yeah, good. the question is that um, there are many priests that exist now in the Orthodox Church, a number of them, who are teaching things foreign to the Orthodox faith, but they are members of the Orthodox Church. And the question by evangelists is, what do we do? You know, we still have to show respect because they're priests. What do we do about their teachings, which are affecting people and causing people to be scandalized and damaged? Is that correct? Always in the Orthodox Church this existed. To say now, because there are some zealots and that say, oh, the, how the church has become, how the church has become. And they go on and on about it and say, we have to either break away, because some people actually say, oh, because the church has got all these mistakes, we have to break away and make another church up. That's another madness and so on. But these always occurred. For example, as I said, in the during the times of the Turks, the Turks never had it. All the places in Greece, there were some islands that were um, had Latins there, Catholics. And um, the Turks did not allow in Greece schools a lot of times. They had to have what's called the Kriftaskulia, which is the, the schools that were in secret, because the Turks didn't like the Orthodox to be educated. They wanted to be the superior. So Elder Arsenios of Cappadocia, for example, in his life there, he used to teach the children secretly. He used to put them on rugs, he wouldn't give them desks, he used to put them on like sheepskins, whatever that was. They used to sit down so when a Turk would come past, he would think they were praying. But they weren't praying, he was teaching them how to read and write. So that was that how it was. But those who wanted to study, here we go again, theology, had to go, because there wasn't anything in the Orthodox Church except for maybe in, up in Russia. They went where they used to go. They used to go to Rome, 
where they, where they would learn Catholic theology, or they would go to Germany and learn Protestant theology, Lutheran, things like that. Those people, those people would come back into Greece and become bishops, priests, with that mentality. The ones that were the ones that were educated in the Catholic seminaries over in, in Italy and things, they would come back into Greece and when they would confess the Greeks, they would tell them within the confession things like the Pope is really the head of the church, and, why, and you know, and then they would say they would work on them slowly, slowly, and then the person would say, "I want to become Catholic then," and then he would say, "Just wait a while," and slowly, slowly, the whole of the Greek church would become Catholic. So these were secret unions, and they, they were so obsessed with spreading. Their, their Catholic mentality <coughs> to the people, that they, the bishops who were educated overseas would give permission to Roman Catholic Franciscan monks and things like that, priests, to come into Greek Orthodox churches and preach and to confess their flock. And confess their flock. Now, I have not seen in Australia, etc., any... Catholic priests going into Orthodox churches and confessing the flock, of the, confessing Orthodox people. So one can say that in some ways it was really bad in those days. And not to mention other problems in Russia and Serbia with, you know, with the baptisms, they used to not triple immerse, all problems everywhere. The church has always had problems and we have to work at it. And then, you know, I think it was the patriarch of Jerusalem, Dositheos, I can't remember exactly the name, he started to write books and material and spread it through the Orthodox world and speaking <coughs> very harshly against the Catholics and what was going on and people to return back to the Orthodox faith. So these things have always occurred. They occurred in the first centuries with Nestorius and other heretics and Arius and all. It's always occurred. The main thing is that what the elder says is that we have to fix ourselves up because we are members of the church. And if you become sanctified, then you sanctify more around you, etc., etc. And that's what the, these elders believe. That don't leave the church, but go and work on yourself and then enlighten, like, like here. I'm doing my job here. At the time that I'm doing this, I know that there are other people who are teaching differently. I can do two things. I can, you know, get on my horse and go through the streets of Sydney and declaring all these things, oh, that's wrong, that's that, you know, which to me I'll either fall off or fall into deception or both. <laughs> um, or I do my job and uh, you people get helped and then you buy orthodox books and you buy books for other people then you go and speak to others. You might bring others here or you might give a talk to someone else. And, 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 and this is how it's always been done. There has been times where some great defender, Athanasius the Great and other great saints, became the, the leaders of the revolt and said to the Orthodox, let's fight, etc., etc. But those people, there aren't many today. Some have assumed to do that and lost themselves. I would say to... Avoid those people if you can because you don't want to be influenced by their teaching. I don't think it's beneficial to go up to the person because 
your spirituality might not be such and therefore you might fall into deception. You can go to the bishop or write a letter outlining what, your, what the problems are. If the bishop is of the same mind, well, then you've done your duty and it's up to God. You are a lay person and as a lay person, you don't have the responsibility for the bishops and the priests to that extent. If you look at the Orthodox Church, you'll see most of the ones who defended the faith were monks, nuns, priests, things like that. Lay people would follow them. If you've got no one to follow, then what are you going to do? Be there on your own. It's just very difficult. So you go through the order and you try and keep away from the person. If you can say it to the person nicely, or you can do it in an indirect way so as not to insult, you can say, oh, Father, look, I read this book and it's really, really good. I'd like to give it to you as a gift. So indirectly, he might read it, might get enlightened. But most important of all is, as St. Seraphim says, save yourself and thousands around you will be safe, number one. And number two, if you fix yourself up, then you can pray to God who will listen to your prayers because you're doing the commandments and you're repenting and you're humble. And then you can pray for that priest who will then be enlightened, who can be enlightened, depending on his disposition, to help him. A lot of times we hear people say, that priest is bad, that priest is bad, and go on and on and on. And I ask them, can I ever ask you, have you ever done one prayer for that person? And they look at me uh, shocked. They never even pray for that person. So then how can you be yapping about it all the time? Not you, but in general. Did that answer the question much? Did it help? Okay. Yes, your name I forgot? Manoli, yes. Um, Another thing too, I mean, if you're in church and there's a priest or a preacher who's saying things that you're having difficulty accepting, I think a lot of times if you want to take action, run away spiritually. And pretty much what he says. Um, You you follow that advice. And and another thing that I've often done, if I don't find spiritual comfort at a parish or with a have you heard the expression your Greek's good, awful, anabarasin? Which means in Greek, it means in English, wherever you find <coughs> comfort. If you feel comfortable somewhere, then go to that place that you feel comfortable. That's what the spiritual fathers always teach. Whether it's a spiritual father or a parish, it's hard when you're in a village, which we're not, and you've got <coughs> one priest. I feel sorry for them, but I can't help those people because I'm I'm here, I'm talking to you people. We're in a city with a lot of parishes have got good priests in the Greek church and all the churches, and a lot of, in the Russian church, a lot of good priests. There's a lot to pick from, so we haven't got that problem. And we go that. But what you said is correct. How do we know that what we're hearing is correct? For example, a person was once in a church. I won't say where. It could be in America, it could be in England. It was, a Western, it was in a Western country. So he's sitting there in the church, in a Greek church, and he's listening and then all of a sudden, uh, the priest reads something from the unborn there, from the, you know, he reads something, like an announcement or something, or some type of thing. A message, I think it was. And the message was in Greek. And this person didn't understand much Greek. But as he was sitting there, he felt agitated. But he didn't know why he felt agitated when, at the, when he didn't understand what was being said. Lo and behold, shortly after, they did the same thing in English. But what was said was quite theological. But again, he felt like running out of the church. He felt, what we say, you know, 
terrorized, like really in turmoil. But he said, why am I feeling in turmoil when I don't understand what's being said? Something from within him. So what he did was that he um, decided to send that particular sermon, whatever it was, to Greece to some people who deal with that, theologians or people who are, you know, spiritual, it was a good organisation, I think, who deal with that and understand those issues. And later on it was exposed that that particular thing had heresy in it. And I believe, like so someone asked me the other day um, about the Antichrist and what should we do and things like that. And we can yap about that all the time. But you can know everything there is to know about the Antichrist. You can read every orthodox book about the Antichrist, but if you've got no spiritual life, as soon as he comes and <coughs> says, take the mark or whatever it is, you'll do it because you've got no spirituality, you've got no strength. And that's why we read, which we're going to hear next year, on the first week of Lent, the miracle with the Koliva, which is the boiled wheat of St. Theodore, which was that the pagans decided, they said, oh, what we're going to do is we know the Christians don't eat for the first week. And then they'll go to the marketplace on Saturday to buy food to eat. Because they used to be very strict in their fasting. Uh, we'll sprinkle the food with blood offered to the idols. And they won't know. Just like some people say, but how do we know that the Antichrist might do something to us that we don't know? Which is true. How do we know that we're not walking somewhere and they're going to laser us with the 666 and all these things? I said, well, we don't know. That's true. And what happened? Those Christians didn't know. But God knew. And because they were fasting, because they were praying, and because they were leading a spiritual life, and God says, seek first the kingdom of heaven, he said, you're doing that, now I will do the rest. And he uh, I think he made St. Theodore appear to the bishop and warned him and said, don't buy that stuff from the marketplace because it's been sprinkled with blood offered to the idols. Just boil some wheat and tell the Christians to eat boiled wheat and hence the, it's called the koliva and that's why on the first Saturday of Lent we boil the wheat and do special prayers to St. Theodore in memory of that. So I believe that like the person in the church, which Manoli asked the question, he was enlightened even though he didn't know. And as well as those, the, the question that a friend at the back said, which was that even if the person's telling you something and you not even know that he's telling you, you might have picked up that, that particular thing that you said that you picked up. But there might be other things that you're not picking up. How are we to know? We're not um, in lock, we're not um, you know, um, enlightened to the extent that we actually know what's going on a lot of times. But what is the secret? The secret is lead your spiritual life and all the rest will come. God will protect you, will enlighten you, will help you. And that example that I said about that person in the church and the example that I said of, the, of those and other examples are really strong examples to show that... Um, the most important thing is, is to lead a spiritual life. And if someone's telling us something wrong, and we don't even understand that they're telling us something wrong, within you, 
Your guardian angel will tell you that something is wrong. Your saint that you've been baptized after will tell you that something is wrong. Or a saint that you're close to, that you have a relationship with, will tell you that there's something wrong and to protect you. That, thanks for that question. That was good. And your question was um, good. Yes. Question. What the Lord, when he said, a blind leads the blind, they both fall into the ditch. Which falls under this category and the other one? That's a good question too. The blind lead the blind. The, those who know that they're being led by the blind will be fall into the ditch together with the blind. If you, in sincerity, are being led by someone who is spiritually blind, but you don't know that they're spiritually blind, and in your simplicity, in your humility, with repentance, you are trusting in this person, then God will arrange somehow for you to work it out. If you enlighten the person in the church, for example, and other examples that I know, he will he will enlighten that person. So the blind leaders the blind is. If you know someone is blind, if you know someone's not saying the truth, if you know someone is not going according to the Holy Fathers and you follow that person, then you will fall because you are in knowledge following that person. Does that answer the question? Time for the break. Uh, thank you for the... That was good participation. God um, bless with food. Now have something to eat and drink. Father Paisu says, we monks enjoy God's great gift to belong to his large family and not to a small one. Then we can feel related to the whole world. The one who is glued to his parents and relatives remains spiritually undeveloped. Very good um, point. Someone said, I want to become a monk or a nun. Why? Because I want to go and to a monastery so I can pray for the world. And uh, that's um, somewhat conceived. When a person goes to a monastery, they go because they want to save their souls. In the process, as they spiritually progress, they begin more and more to embrace the world in their prayers. So to actually say, I'm going to a monastery to pray for the world is not right. Now, I'm going to talk about this topic. There are, it's all about the parents. In that pamphlet that I gave out by the abbot of the monastery of Samogbetha on marriage, he says, if you see someone who, whose mouth drops every time his parents speak and listens to their parents for everything, you know, in a, he goes, those people are sick. We've got to be very careful what's obedience and what's sickness. Stalin, Hitler, had, you can say, Stalin had love, whatever you can call it, for his daughter. But he had nothing for anyone else. Hitler had love for three people. One was his girlfriend, Eva, and the other love was for his two Alsatians. So that was his love. But as for all the rest that were dying and being murdered and tortured, etc., he had no feeling. 
Now, why do I bring that up? There are people who have love, if you can call it that, for just their parents, for example. Anything to do with their parents, you know, if someone's a, a parent and cares only for their, his children or her children, and only them, nothing else, nothing about anyone else moves them. This is not love, because love does not just remain uh, concentrated in one area. It spreads. And this is what we learned from the elder. So when he said that he loved those in his monastery, and then from more and more that he progressed spiritually, the more that God gave him the Holy Spirit, the more he began to love such that he went to the stage where he would feel for so many people in the world some saints were, don't you, don't you do it because you're just not at that level at all, and maybe will never be, but some saints were even as far as to pray for the demons and feel sorry for the demons. They're exceptions, but that's what happened. These saints as well, as I read in Elder Arsenios last night, and, uh, and all the places, they had love in for the animals. They didn't want anything cruel to happen to animals. Of course, they didn't get to the stage where they say that we shouldn't eat animals because to swallow them is cruel and we all have to become vegetarians and eat carrots all day. I mean, that's just um, uh, ridiculous. I think some of these people as well that believe that, I think from the remarks about the TV that they're in deception, I think that they probably think that, you know, you can't eat a rabbit because when they were young they used to watch Bugs Bunny and then they used to watch... There's not a joke. And some of them actually have got to the stage where they go... When you catch fish, the fish are suffering. And I believe that maybe they think that in their dreams it's Nemo or something like that. So they just, some type of deceptions there to actually believe that when you catch a fish, the fish is out of the water, it's suffering. And then we've got to boil the crabs in a certain way because that's cruel as well. Because the crabs are, uh, you know, doing pincers in the, in, the, in the hot water. And it's like, um, oh, look, they're sending Morse code that they're suffering. Right? From boiling water. So that's, anyway, that's not what the elders had. The elders had a true, a true thing that they felt sorry. They even went to the point where they felt sorry for ants and that step on the ant. And these are people that were very progressed. They had a lot of sorrow in their heart. But back to this thing. The one who was glued to his parents and relatives remained spiritually undeveloped. I have met people who don't care about anyone and anything except for, for example, their parents. And have no love for anyone else. That's not a good sign. If you're going to marry someone who has that, then steer clear because they're not going to love you either. Right? Uh, that's what the elders trying to say. Now we go to a nice topic, which is to do with what the elder says about television. I think, it was a group. I think we, we, let's see how he's, I've said a lot about it, but I want to see how he explains it, and that will help us, Yerunda, or Elda. Nowadays, telecommunications are so advanced that one can see live what's happening to the other side, at the other side of the earth. And he says, yes, they see the entire world, but they don't see themselves. 
This is the only thing that they, that they do not see. Today it's the human mind, not God, that destroys people. So yes, people have a lot of knowledge. The internet has given what's called a, you know, like an explosion of knowledge into the world. But hardly no one knows themselves. You can know everything. You can go and do PhDs. You can go and be on the internet. You can be the most uh, knowledgeable person. But if you don't know yourself, then you've got nothing. And this is what spiritual life's about, knowing yourself. And knowing yourself is painful. And it can only be done with God's help. Uh, Elder, is television very harmful? Of course it is. Some, someone came and told me, says the elder, television is good, Father. And the elder says, eggs are, are good too. But if you mix them with chicken droppings, they become useless. The exact same thing happens with radio and television. Today, if you turn on the radio and listen to the news, you must put up with listening to a song before you can hear the news. In the old days, it was different. You knew the time the news would come on. And when you turn on the radio, that was it. That's what you got. And now it's all, you know, um, mixed. Now you're forced to listen to the song as well. Otherwise, if you turn off the radio, you'll miss the news. Television has done great damage, he says. It's especially destructive for children. This is what I want to say. A seven-year-old came to the Kaliba, sorry, the, the Kaliba, which is the, the house he used to live in, the hut. I saw the demon of television speaking through the child's mouth, exactly as demons speak through the mouth of the possessed. It was like a baby born with teeth. What, is this, what, is, what does this mean? You see, this is what I'm saying. These mod people, these the mod spot theologians, they say, oh, demon of television, what do we live in the dark ages? And they don't like this type of language. They don't like this type of expression. And they think that it shouldn't be said to the people because we make them backward. But the truth of the matter is, when you read the gospel, there are references to these things all the time. And to take them out of orthodox, the orthodox teachings is uh, demonic in itself. So the child would come and would start yapping and just repeat the things that it sees on TV. And he says it was like a baby, like you know, a child should be cute. When a baby's born, it's not born with teeth. And when you see a baby being born with a full set of teeth, you're not going to say it's a very cute baby. So I think that's what he's trying to say, is that, you know, you go to the baby and you, and then it just opens up these great big choppers and you say to yourself, what is that? So the same here is that he's trying to say that the baby's not cute at all, it's not the child, and it's speaking and just repeating what it's hearing from what it heard, what it heard from the television. And it says... Um, it's, it's not easy to find normal kids. They are turning into little monsters. Now, this goes back to the comment that was said last week about the positive thoughts. We have to have positive thoughts. But here, the elder is speaking very negatively. We have to be careful when we read things that we don't take things out of context. In other words, I can take something out of a book from what the elder says and present it to you in a way, but it's wrong. Like, for example, he says in another part, you must never leave the book of, El, uh, of Saint 
He sacked the Syrian. He says that. You must have. That's, and that's in his that's in the that's in the book at the back on the and it's got one line saying that. And someone can read that and go, well, see, the elder says we should read Saint Isaac the Syrian, which is a very difficult book. And the answer to that is that that advice that's been put in there could have been pointed towards a monastic or a person who is spiritually progressed or a person who has got a spiritual father who's guiding them in that deeper spiritual life. So we've got to be careful when... That's what I do. I try not to take things out of context. Maybe, maybe I'm doing it without realising, it's not purpose, but I'm doing it on purpose. I try to say things and put them into, into context, but you have to have a knowledge of other things in the church to be able to make sure that you're balanced. You know, you can't just come here and just look at one thing, because you can take a thing out of in isolation and tell people and it could be not right. So here, he says, um, they turn into little monsters. And so, yeah, back, back to the thing. Yes, the elder does speak about positive thoughts, but positive thoughts is to do with ourselves, our spiritual state, our attitude, where people are just negative continually and always putting people down. In this case, it can appear that the elder is going against his own advice because to me he sounds negative by saying that these kids are like possessed and, 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 you know, a baby with teeth and etc. Like you should see what he says about women with makeup. He's really um, against them. Positive thoughts is to do with our personal spiritual life and we have to understand that priests, especially who have been given the, the um, authority by God to teach people have to speak about these things. People may take it and use it against people and go, oh, look, um, your baby's possessed or your this or that. You know, like I said last time with the scarf and all that. And by the way, in general, we avoid colourful things in church. Because the old actually says in another section, it's not using a hard word, which I don't use, but conducive, but I'll use a better word. It doesn't help in our spiritual life. He's more into, you know, colour. That's why we wear black. Okay? We're the extreme because we're monastics. We wear black because, not because we're depressed, actually monastics are less depressed than lay people, but we wear black because we want to show that we are not trying to be part of the joys of this world which are not necessary and things like that. And he, and this this colourful scarf and all these type of things, he's, he's for women, for example, who he really supports women who used to wear dark clothes when their husbands died. To make it, explain, to explain it, it's like, for example, your father just passed away, and then your father just passed away, say, yesterday, and then the next day you're out there and you're wearing psychedelic clothes. I mean, even people who aren't even religious would say, what's up with him or her? So if that's the case, the people can get the wrong idea. Colours play a role. The way we dress does play a role. The way we come to church covered does play a role. I've noticed that people have lost their sense of dress and people are coming to church more and more today aren't, not being dressed appropriately. And he was really strict about that. And he actually says maybe the parish priests can't do a good job of it 
because because of, of their position, the parish is very hard. He goes, but the monasteries should be an example. So when people come, they will learn from the monasteries how to be proper. And he says, when when women come with their pants, not to let them into the monasteries. When uh, men come with their shorts, not to let them into the monasteries. When people come inappropriately dressed, not to let them in the monasteries. And some people say, oh, but elder, you know, you're going to scare people away. No, they will learn how to come to church. So even though this elder had love, doesn't mean he doesn't have love because he wouldn't allow people to come into the church inappropriately. No, it means he has love. Don't think that everything that someone says, is, a, is if someone goes against someone or speaks negatively, it means they've got no love. Here, when he's speaking about the child, for example, he's speaking out of love because he sees that the child's lost it, out of it. And you see they don't get to think for themselves. The TV makes them not to think of themselves, for themselves. They only re repeat what they've heard and seen on television. Then he goes on. That's why they've come up with television to begin with, to make people numb, unfeeling. And I said that in other talks, that people that used that come up to me, especially in the old days for confession, and open up. One thing, one thing that's discovered is that they're numb, can't feel. And when they do feel, they act that they feel. I've got someone, for example, who who has children, and I've helped him to see that he has nothing for his children, but he pretends in public that he has something for his children. And he's realised that it comes from when he was young, that he was put from day one, basically, in front of the television, and he, and he um, can't feel it. One of, the, one of the symptoms of schizophrenia is that people can't feel, can't feel emotion, can't feel. So one day, if not already, maybe they've already done it, they've already, yeah, that they will, they will actually come out and say that one of the causes of schizophrenia is children that have been exposed to television from young. That's my thing, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if it's already some psychiatrists have already started to say that. I know that they've already said no TV for the first two years of a child's life, even five years, in my opinion, or six, seven years, just keep them away from them. You're already giving that child a 95% better chance in life. That's why, and you might say, oh, but I know people that watch TV when they were young and they're leading a good life, but you don't know what's in them. And all because they might have even succeeded in certain secular things. Believe you me, when you go into the spiritual, that's when you see there's a lot of things, and a lot of their problems come up later on when they're older. That's why you see this midlife crisis and things like that. What's it to do with? Because a man becomes bold, or a woman goes through a menopause, that she goes through a midlife crisis, and that she uh, loses it. No. What happens is that they come more and more to the realisation that they're not young anymore. It really hits them. It really, really hits them. And then what's already within them their depression, their anxiety starts to come out more. There is, there is a bit of a hormonal thing, but, you know, we go and speak to the people from the villages in the old days, and they would say, well, I don't know, we never noticed any great changes when a woman stopped, her, 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 stopped menstruating and things like that. Actually, women used to welcome it and say, oh, you know, it's time for my rest. So it's a signal that it's time for the woman to start to slow down. 
But not today. No, no, we can't stop because we'll get old. We're going to get wrinkles and people are suffering and over, you know, counting all their wrinkles and doing all these things to, to get rid of them. It's really a sad. Um, <coughs> women think they, they won a lot with the feminists and things like that, but I think at the end they've lost a lot. And there's more and more women now in studies showing that women are becoming more and more, and more um, just um, fed up and say, um, you know, because they suffer from anxiety and there's just so much pressure on them to do their careers, to take care of their children, and they go, oh, because the man doesn't help. Even when the man does help, they still have breakdowns. A lot of mental problems are occurring because of the, uh, the amount of stress. Anyway, that's another topic. But that's why they come up with television to begin with, to make people dumb and numb, and so that they will take what they hear and see on television for a fact and act accordingly. A lot of us do see things on TV and believe it, because that's we learn from young. Whatever the TV says, it's true. Yerunda, mothers, elder, mothers are asking Ask how they can keep their children away from television, not to be free speaking to the older. They must help them understand that television dulls their children's minds. They lose the ability, this is important, I love the way, you must have done like, it's like you've done a psychology course. They lose the ability to think on their own, to think critically, not to mention that it damages their eyesight. It allow, it, when a person watches TV, it doesn't have time to think, because just flash, flash, flash. There's no time to think and analyse what you are watching. And when the child is young, he doesn't even know that he has to even critically look at it and analyse because he can't do it anyway. So what happens is it's just becoming brainwashed in a way where that child just does, does not know how to critically look at things and it does, it makes them a lot of dumb. Television and internet should have made um, children at school smarter. And I still have contact with, with teachers, I mean I haven't taught now for many years, I don't have to because I can see what's going on when you speak to people. You, you go to a shop or anywhere, people just out of it. And um, anyway, the teachers tell me that the literacy level hasn't, the numeracy level, they haven't risen. It's getting worse. They're producing nurses that have come out of school and these nurses go to university. And I know because I've had some contact with them and I, and, and I say to them, okay, because um, I used to teach maths, I go, let young Tell me what maths you do there, what, what do you do? Oh, we do the the um, the drips and the the volume per the morphine and all these things. I go, okay, so how do you do it? And then they start to tell me how they do it, and you can see that as they're explaining to me, these are registered nurses, as they're explaining to me what they do, they're not really sure how they're doing it. And hence, all these deaths that are in the hospitals. They should have signs. Enter at own risk when you go to the hospital. <laughs> because a lot of people don't end up coming out. And I have to say that they are really good in the hospitals. Of, it's, a, it's a culture, it's called cover-up. And they cover up a lot of these things. And I know that that's a fact. They just cover up. Oh, they had a heart attack. The doctor says, okay, there's no need to do an autopsy because they had a, the, the person had a heart attack. But if you, if you really did an autopsy, you probably find out that the person made a mistake of 50 mils and 5 mils because they don't know maths. So I don't know, to me, it's supposedly we're supposed to be smarter because of television and the internet and all these things. 
but at the end, you know, people can't even measure, they can't do much at all. So, um, the lose the ability to think on their own critically and not to mention the damage of the arsehole. And we are talking about man-made television. But there's another kind of spiritual television this now is speaking about himself. When people uproot their old self, their passions, the eyes of their soul, soul are cleansed and they can see into the future without the aid of any machines. Have they told their children about this kind of television, the spiritual television? The older when he speaks about clairvoyance, about looking into the future, he always calls it, or he knows what's going on at, the, at that moment, like he knew when the war broke out or when someone's got bombed. He says it's called the spiritual television. And this comes as a result of the person's being cleansed and humility, which he had. Have they told the children about this kind of television? If they won't, these boxes will have our children dumb. Adam and Eve had the gift of foresight, but they lost it when they fell from grace because of sin. If the grace of the holy baptism is preserved, children will get with it spiritual foresight. But this requires watchfulness, vigil, vigilance, and spiritual work. Today, so many mothers have, having lost their spiritual bearings, in other words, they're not leading a spiritual life, don't even know what's going on in their own lives, preoccupy themselves with worthless and frivolous things, makeup, heads, body, the gym, but say, oh, shouldn't we go to the gym, um, or shouldn't we take care of our health? Yes, we take care of our health, but not at the cost of everything else. Not at the cost of our spiritual life, not at the cost of our children. And you see people going there and then you see women go, I don't want children. I don't want children because I want to be free to be able to go to my gym and do this or whatever, whatever. And you see them there at the gym and they're doing these machines. They push up, I don't know what they're doing. Some type of machines and all these things. And I say to them, look, why do that? Why even pay a fee to actually... Um, do those push-ups on machines that have got everyone else's sweat on it. Why don't you, um, why don't you um, do the following? Have some children, and then what you do, you come up to the child and you go, oh, and you've got to make the exercise. You pick the child up, there it is. What do you think some mothers are so strong these days? And there it is, once, twice, three times, four times. Have you seen them? Why, why do you wait lifting? You just have the child. That's the child takes the place. So, um, housework, the same thing. People don't want to do housework. So you see them, they're doing yoga and stretching their calves and stretching these hamstrings and stretching. Why do that? Bend over, clean the toilet, your, your hamstrings will stretch. That's what it is. The hamstrings are stretched from the bending over. Bend over, clean a couple of toilets. You know, change the nappy of your child. That works on the back. <laughs> so, um, that's it. That was that one. Now, let's get a bit um, deeper into the... Um, any questions so far? So we can... Um, George. Uh, just a comment. Um, what you're saying about TV, how it's going to people. Um, my mother has an auntie. Her husband died and returned her to the daughter's house, and she was exposed to the TV and watched soap operas and news for her daughter. And she was now believing what she was watching was real, because obviously, she 
what she would see, she would actually believe. And like, when people would die or something, they actually start crying. Um, or when they kill someone, I just think you should say that. I can't believe that happened, you know? but they take it as reality. Um, so it's the same with children. When they're exposed to this from young, then they think. But that's even worse because that lady didn't watch it when she was young and she's already been tricked as an adult. But when they're young and they watch someone who's on one show a good person and another show a bad person, on one show he died or she died, but on another show she's back alive, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and there's no laws to say, they say, oh, mature audience or this is for this age. There's no laws. You can, a child can be at home and watch any show and there's no legal repercussions for parents. So they can be watching something like um, some, of these, some of these bad, really aggressive shows or full of sexual content or whatever, aggressive shows. And these kids might be five, six, seven, eight. You know, Harry Potter is meant to be for a certain age group, I think, a mature age, I think. And yet kids are watching it from five. But there's no law. And those kids are getting affected and learning... And learning um, magic and things. I'll give you an example. Once an electrician came to my place, to the monastery there, and um, just to show you how much, so he was talking and um, this person said, oh, you know, in the good old days they used to have really good shows and not now, and he's going on and on about his past, because a lot of people live in the past. That's why Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and uh, all these rainbows, uh, rainbow, what it's called, and all these Rockies, Rocky 1, Rocky 2, I don't know, I'll probably get to Rocky 100 and still go on. <laughs> so, because people live that, they want to live that past of themselves, like nostalgia, and that's why they're so successful, these shows. Right, so, um, this person came up to me and he said, oh, you know, the good old shows, and he was talking about Gilligan's Island, some of you might not know, but some of you do know. Some people that were, that were you know, an island, on an island, and they were safe. Anyway, so, so um, uh, when people are not spiritual, I don't talk spiritual things, because to me it's blasphemy. So I let the person yap on, he's gone on about Gilligan's Island. And he said, oh, do you know that, and he started speaking in a really serious tone, he goes, you know when they were rescued from the island, and then they went there, and then all of a sudden, the, the rich man on the Gilligan's Island's friends didn't like the other people that were on the island with them, and they got upset, and then they, they left the world and went back to the island. And he was speaking like that. I don't know what happened to me. I must have, I don't know. Out of it, I must myself, and I go, really? I thought he was saying that in real life they went. I got so confused because he was speaking with passion, with such a feeling. I thought it was in reality, these people, because they worked together, I don't know, I lost it, but they worked together on the set, and they, was, they became friends as actors, and they went to the island, I lost it. I'm embarrassed to say it. But because this person was speaking with such passion, I go, oh, so you were in the show. <laughs> oh, sorry. So I, I actually was embarrassed and still am about it because I usually, but this person was so absorbed. So what I'm trying to say is that these things are serious and people do revolve their life around it. You know, it's a bit sad when you go to work and people are talking about uh, these shows like, what are they called those, those two shows at seven o'clock? Home and Away and, Home and Away, what's that one? Neighbours. Oh. And people go up to, the, to their work and say, oh, did you hear that that person did this? But they're living real people. So it's like there is a sickness there. Anyway, that's... um. So that's your question. I think I did, yeah. So we go on to... um. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Um, 
Question. How oh, sorry, yes. Non-orthodox nephew, who from the age of two was Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Actually, looks like Harry Potter, makes it worse. Um, he looks like Harry Potter. He looks like Harry Potter. Yeah, that's true. That, that's how that becomes. Your, the object of your love, you, you become. He, he actually did. So when he went into the daycare, he would come home with that word that he said Harry. Mm. Undo? So what you're saying is a, a friend, a nephew, a nephew who started from two years old to watch Harry Potter. He's now how old? Seven years old, and he's. Uh, yeah, of course. Brain, brainwashed, and he doesn't believe in God, and he's fully absorbed in the Harry Potter culture. What you're saying? Is, yeah. Okay. Um, I think that that damage that, that, that is done, even the elder says things like that. He goes, that, uh, it's very hard for him to come out of it. He actually speaks quite pessimistic about that. He actually says that sometimes it's just hard for him to come out of it because it was done from young. It's to the point that one would say that they are mentally being damaged, mentally damaged. And I can add to that, we know that people that have been mentally damaged will not give word the same as someone who's not mentally damaged. So a lot of people today who are mentally damaged because of these, you know, when you put a young child in front of a TV from young, they are mentally damaged. That's These kids have a lot of hidden things within them. It comes out when they grow older. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them just don't know what they feel, who they are, what's going on. And it's this very sad thing. And I, I've got a feeling that a lot of them are permanently, not saying yours, because I don't want you to go back to their parents and say that they start getting aggressive with me. In general, they are, a lot of these people are permanently, I've dealt with a lot of them too, they are permanently damaged. And I think in God's eyes it wasn't their fault, which the elder says as well, and they'll be judged differently to that person who was given a better opportunity. Now I'm not saying there's no hope, I don't know, but I'm showing the seriousness of it in that I cannot really give much positive to you, and that's showing how serious it is. I gave an example once from you, a few talks before. It was in a book called The Arena, and it's by Saint Ignatius Branchinov, which is a Russian saint, and he had the gift of discernment. Fantastic reading, very beautiful, easy to read, and he speaks about um, women. And he says there that, in his opinion, women who read a lot of romance books, when they enter the church start to lead spiritual lives, they begin to romance, they kind of transfer that romantic thing that they picked up from the books into the spiritual life. So their spiritual life, even with the saints, or even with their spiritual father, or 
in general, it's romantic, it's, it's emotional, it's not spiritual. They're damaged. And he's speaking about women who read romance books. When did they start reading romance books? Let's, let's, let's look at it. Perhaps when they were 10, maybe 11, 12. But he's not speaking about these kids that are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, because they couldn't read. They wouldn't have been subjected to this stuff. So if this, what he's going to say about these women who read it as an, uh, at an older age, I'm going to tell you something which, which will shock you. Imagine what he would say about those children that were brought up in that way when they were young. So let's leave those children, but this will show you how bad it is, which is why I can't answer you. He said about those women that, in his, this is what he writes, these women are incapable of, of, of gaining the grace of the Holy Spirit because of the damage that's been done to them. Of course, there are exceptions in that case because they learnt it from old, from an older, at an older age, not from young. So therefore, there's more of a chance that they can maybe come out of it. But it's very, very hard. Now, if he's saying that statement, he didn't say perhaps um, um, perhaps they can come out of it later on. He didn't say that. He just said straight out, categorically, they are inaccessible to the grace of God, which I found quite shocking. Imagine what he would say about the kids that are not just watching romance, are watching all these things on the television and on the internet, computers, etc. So, reading that, from that elder, reading some other books, and also my own experience dealing with people, and as well what the elder he says, they don't speak very positively about those that have been damaged from very young. So, um... Does that, does that sound upsetting? I'm concerned in mm. many ways in relation to that. Because as I believe as an Orthodox Christian, it's my place to, to care for and nurture my nephews and nieces accordingly. And so to expose them to the church, that's my endeavor. You you, you, them, you that's my endeavor. You will do you will do all those things. And the amount of damage God knows, and whether there is Hope for that person to come out of it, God knows. You'll do your duty, etc. But I'm just saying that my reading of things and my own little experiences of dealing with people, I've dealt with people that were brought up like that. And I tell you, I could never, maybe it was me because I wasn't a good spiritual father, that could have went, maybe go to someone else. But what I've noticed is they've gone to others and they're still the same. These people, you couldn't get one ounce, one little bit of spirituality to come out of it. It was really, and they say, I can't. They, they can't confess. They can't hardly commune. Because it was a, it's a, they don't feel. They find it hard to pray. They find it hard to read spiritual books. They find it hard to feel. Oh, they have for everything. So um, there could be others. People might say, oh, maybe it's their upbringing. Maybe they were damaged differently and this and that. As time comes on, but this, the elder here, he, he, he also says, that um, it is very serious. It doesn't even give much of a thing to say they can come out of it. But I know from other things which we'll read on, we'll see what he says. Um, yes? So if someone can't feel um, or they can't bring themselves to confess or to commune, does that mean not just um, saying, for example, from the television and also like 
Not from the television, should they still complacent communion, kind of like make themselves? There are a lot of factors. Oh. Yes, thank you. The question is if someone can't feel, should they then, um, should they then not pursue spiritual life, is what you're saying? Yeah, like Yeah, they say, what's the point if they don't feel it? When I when when we say these things, that's what I'm trying to say to the to, to the what's your name, sorry? Christina. Christina. That each person is an individual. There could be other reasons. There could be hereditary reasons that they could have a mental problem. There could be uh, the fact that they were emotionally abused. They could have even been sexually abused. There could have been this. There's so many factors involved with people. Some people don't feel because they're high. They've got a they're, they're, they're traumatized from some experience. Some it's because of the television's made them numb, like the elder said. It's difficult to know. We have to then see. Well, how much did that person? How much was that person in front of the television? Was it like some people have been all day? That that's it. That was there. They were just hypnotized on it. If uh, and because we don't know exactly what's inside the person, obviously we will encourage the person and try to help them to lead a spiritual life. And at least if they can't get to the point of even having a spiritual active life, at least they will. At least um, they might actually have a, have a, uh, come to a sense of saying, um, "I can't, I can't do something or whatever." Might just let out and say, "God forgive me" or "God help me." You know, all these things, all these little things make a make a, a, a difference. What I was trying to emphasise to, to Christina without upsetting her, but the thing is I was trying to emphasise in, in the case of someone who is from the television that it is so serious that we are damaging the person permanently in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And when we read the elders what they say about these things, you'll see that they don't give, they're not very optimistic. So what I'm trying to say is, Instead of let's judge about these people who have maybe been, what exactly, how much damage they've been, it's not really our business. What we need to know is, okay, keep our children away. Start with our children. Start with, don't do that. Bring a generation into the church that have not been put into that state. That's what it is, the ones that come out of communism from Russia and Serbia where they never had much televisions or it was controlled by the state, but they never had much of it um, a lot of times and... Um, you know, some of these countries didn't believe in cartoons. They thought, oh, it's Western decadence. They didn't even allow cartoons. Didn't allow this, didn't allow that. Let's just say it's bad. Let's just say in our in our minds, we might say, oh, that's bad. But in some ways, it was good because a lot of these people that come out of this, like the, the Russians, for example, in, um, in the Russian Orthodox, they have a deep spirituality, as we can see when the patriarch died. And you see the people in the church, and they were making some comments on the television there, and they were saying that, that the Russians had just really turned to the church. And the, and the reporter was going, it's just amazing, even the reporter, it wasn't even orthodox, said, it's so amazing that these people, generation after generation, were brought up as atheists. They had nothing to do with the church. And then suddenly in these last 15, 16 years, there's just people coming to the church and family, not just old people like the old days, but a lot of people come to the church, young people coming to the church. These people have not been as contaminated as we have with 24-7 television. When I brought up, the only television used to turn off at 12 o'clock. It used to come on later on and 
and it was like I was lucky. I wouldn't say lucky. I was fortunate because my parents had a shop, which means that they used to take me down to Bondi, down to the beach, because they used to have a hamburger shop. So therefore, my I was not in front of that a lot, if at all. I don't, plus, I don't even know when. I don't even know when they bought it. They would have bought it. I was born '58. They would have bought it in '61, '62. But I know we were down at the shop a lot. So what I used to do is go out. Go to the beach, go walk here, go up to the rock pools, go discover the rocks, go here, go, go everywhere. And when that bored me, then I'll just, I'll go somewhere else. And my parents were too liberal, they, that, that was bad. I, I look at it now and I say, I don't know how they allowed me at eight years old to travel on my own. You know, if I used to ask my friends, oh, let's go to Luna Park. They say, um, we're not allowed, I've got no money. I said, well, you're not going to go, I'll go myself. I used to go by myself. <laughs> Let's go to the zoo, not allowed. I'll go on my own. I'll go to Manly, I'll go here. So to me, my youth was more to do with those things, going out, discovering, that's what this, you know, a lot of people used to do. Go down to the creek, go and play, ride a bike, this and that, and just sit like a zombie in front of the television, in front of the computer. What, what is that? Not even any physical activity. And even the elder says, the reason for a lot of mental illnesses is because of the lack of physical activity. When you do physical activity, it, it gives off some type of endorphins, which is like a, like a happy hormone, in a way. And, um, and a lot of people just don't move. Don't, they don't walk. They don't do much. There's not much activity, and as a result of that, they are depressed. I mean, you know, that's, that, that's not good. Yes. Your question is: Is radio better because it's not visual? The orthodox teaching is that the eyes are the most powerful of all the senses, which enter the soul. Prophet David, when he was on his palace on his roof, when he noticed a certain woman um, there, you know. Um, so what happened was that he started feeling lust towards this person and he arranged for her husband to be going to a certain part of the uh, uh, fight where he was killed. So he was, yeah, if he committed adultery, that was through the eyes. So the elders, the elders trying to say the eyes are very powerful. So yes, that's powerful. And, the, and obviously the radio is more audio, so therefore it's not as powerful. But you know, how much can you listen to it? Little kids forget about it. But the older people, you listen to it. I'm not going to say don't watch television because it's not going to work. What I say is that you look at it yourself and see how much it damages and see how much it can help you. But for little kids, I will say it straight out. Leave them alone. Don't damage them. Give them a chance. Parents must live like true Christians and be careful of their behaviour. Children are like computers since a very, uh, since a very early age. They register in their minds everything they see or hear happening in their homes. So, it's not enough just to send our children to scripture. It's not enough just to send our children to confession. But we have to realise that um, the, 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 the main basis of the child is the first few years, which is to do with the home. Your behaviour, the parent's behaviour, is to do with the home. Remember that, that old Greek saying which said, Forgot which was some Greek philosopher, a parent brought his son. A father brought his son to this Greek philosopher and said, I want to give you my son and I want you to teach him and make him into a philosopher. They weren't Christians. 
but it's still a good point. And he said to him, how old's the child? And he said, I don't know, I can't remember now, it might have been three or something, that's too late. So he's trying to say that, that, the, that the development of a person starts from the time it's, it's, it, the baby's in the, in the womb, and over the first few years are the most important part of the child's life. So they absorb. If they see their father and mother quarrelling, cursing and using bad language, they record everything in their mind's tape. He calls the mind like a tape recorder. And it is true that the child does record everything. The child, you know, perhaps some people say, oh, my child's really smart and it's learned all these words and it's really learning quick. Yes, because by, by nature, God's given them that in the first few years of their life so they can learn language. And they do absorb a lot and they learn a lot. And some parents mistake, they go, oh, my child's smart. And as time goes on, when the child gets four or five, it's learning. The speed of its learning begins to decrease. And they go, oh, what's wrong with my child? Nothing. It's just, that's how it is. The first few years, it absorbs an immense amount of information. And as time goes on, it goes, and as we go on and on, we find learning things more difficult. So don't get mixed up and think that you've got some Einstein and some uh, big, big, big brain there. Or just might be the, the child's nature. Anyway, so the child's like a tape recorder. So when, the, when they grow older, they start cursing and quarrelling and using their parents' language. And that's true. I react. If I say get upset, I've noticed that sometimes when I become really upset or get angry, I take note that at that moment that I'm actually sounding the same way that my mother used to sound when she used to get upset using similar language to what she used to use. And I'm quite surprised a lot of times because I don't even remember it until I'm doing it and I realise that I'm acting the same way. They behave this way without really wanting to, but because they have inherited the pathetic behaviour of their parents. Later on, when they realise their mistakes, they find it difficult to correct them. So we are a product of our parents. We can blame our parents, which we'll go on and he'll explain all that. The biggest help and best inheritance the parents can offer to their children is to make them recipients of their own natural kindness. This does not require extra effort. As a young child, as, as young children whose minds tapes are empty, so the child's mind is empty of things and we, we can put into the child's mind what we want. Good things or bad things. And he says there, um, if they can easily absorb the behaviour of their immediate surroundings, which is their parents, which is what I said before. If a child sees his parents being polite, loving, and speaking nicely to each other, humbly praying, then his soul, like carbon paper, old-fashioned way. In the old days, we used to make a copy of something, we used to use carbon paper. They don't do that now, but they just copy on the computer. But that's how we used to do that. So it's like it says, it, it actually imitates the parents will copy the good conduct of the parents. So if the parents are people who don't speak politely and grunt or don't communicate or don't show fear, all these things, they will go across to the children. And that's what a lot of parents say, oh, but I sent my child to scripture classes and I sent my child to the priest and I did this and I did that. I said, but you did, what did you do when the child was in its first years of their life. That's what counts. 
Many parents thinking that they dearly love their children end up destroying them without realising it. So in the name of love, they believe that they're doing good for their children. Which is why I try to save the examples, some of you weren't here, of the fellow who I told him, um, he, these parents, two parents, they were obsessed, they only had one child, but they were obsessed with the child's hair. Blonde hair, curly hair, beautiful hair, and everywhere that the child went, Everyone used to say, oh, what you this, this, and I said, that's not good, because that child is going to learn to become conceited. It's going to be proud. It's going to be really hard for that child to get it out of their system. Don't do that. And I said, I advise you, cut the hair. Just cut off the curls. It's not necessary. And the father answered rudely and said to me, oh, what do you want me to do to disfigure my daughter? And I found that comment to be absolutely horrible, and especially when they know that it came from a person who has no motivation. What's my motivation? Was I jealous because the child's hair was more, had more beautiful curls than mine? Or because my hair's dry because I don't use conditioner? And I've got hardly none of it left. So maybe I was jealous, and I was wanted to get revenge and tell him, um, I can't look at your child's hair. It, it makes me green with envy. I cut it off. No, because I was concerned for the soul. When a priest is concerned for the soul and you or a person doesn't listen, it is the worst sin. So it says here, for example, a mother who excessively loves her daughter and tells her daughter while holding her in her arms, what a nice child I have. Or while kissing her says, I have the best child in the world. Therefore, from a very young age, Brackets, excellent, this point, when a child is unable to realize and to realize what's happening and to act against it. Like the child to say, you know, the child's too young to say, Mummy, you are praising me and you're going to make me proud when I grow up. Doesn't have that ability. It doesn't understand. When it watches TV, it doesn't understand that the things that it's watching is not good. They're not critical, they don't understand. So that's what the elder says here. Fuck psychology. Why go to university? Just read all the basis to do psychology. The child, then the child acquires a, a haughty, which means proud, mindset, and believes she's a nice person, like a beautiful person. As a result, she's unable to sense the lack of God's presence, which is what I was trying to say before. And his, and his loving power in her life, and of course cannot learn to ask for him. When you brainwash the child from young, and I've met people like that, that were brainwashed from young, that they're good, that they're smart, that they're this, that they're that, they're that, from very young, you can always tell the ones that are from young, because they can't come out of it. They can't come out of it. It's really hard. Maybe uh, a cancer, an AIDS or something, which is God's ways of helping people, that's why these things are beneficial today, because they help a person to humble them right to the end and help them to come out um, and to be humbled. So we shouldn't actually say that these are bad. Yes? Uh, a comment about another quote, which is one of the three, is when the parents see there's something wrong with their child, they should have to be certain. Like if the child is very uh, selfish, right? They can do that to a charity, like take a basket of legs to the neighbors. They're lazy, make them cut the grass, so that they, they learn um, 
you're speaking about um, when, a, when parents are leading spiritual lives, important. If the parents are leading the spiritual life, life, then they will be able to see what the problem with their children. So if the parent, for example, is fighting their pride, and they see the difficulty and how bad the pride is and how pride cuts us off from God, why would they then give it to their children? Or if the parent sees that greed is bad, that we don't have love, and then we want to have money and keep it for ourselves and not to help anyone else, and that's such that's so vile, then why would they do the same to their to the child? But you're speaking about something a little bit different to this. This is given to the children from their parents, and you're speaking about, I think, when the child is born with these, which is true, that some children are born, or each child is born in their own way with certain uh, passions. You can see it, like a child can be born, as it's grown up, it just has a jealousy, more than the other children. Or it might have an aggression, or it might have a um, pride. And therefore, you are correct, you have to then uh, look at that, and you're the spiritual father and spiritual mother, and help the child to, to go to the opposite by doing what you're saying. You know, um, help the child to... Um, share with others and go to hospitals and visit sick people and do all these things to undo the passion and help that child. That's uh, In this case, he's talking about one where the parents did it to the child. You're talking about when the child has them by nature and you've got to work on them, which is also good. I think we, we're going to come to that, what you're saying. Uh, uh, should we ever like, raise children after anything or disregard Elder Porfirio, he actually says about himself that he was never praised. Never ever praised by his mum. And he became one of the greatest elders. But he also has a section in there which I, I'm hoping to give to you or to try and read a bit, where he speaks about the praising of children and the damage that it does to, to, to um, children. Now, because we lack love, this, this, is what, this is how I look at it. Because we lack love, because we don't have an ability to love our children, we substitute this love with either buying them stuff or by praising them. But what the child wants, he doesn't want praise because it's, it's empty. It doesn't want the toys, it doesn't, what it wants, it wants your love your and your spirituality. The more you become spiritual, the more that transmits across to the, to, to the child. But in answer to your question, should we praise our children at all? I think that in the society that we live in, it's become overdone. Like it's everything. Three plus three, what's the answer? Six. Excellent. I mean, excellent. Very good. You know, they play a little computer game. Great work. Oh, that's fantastic. You're a champ. You're this. You're why? And it just goes on and on and on and puts into them a false understanding of themselves. So when they go out into society later on, they're going to do things, could be anything. They might say, or the boss might say, okay, can you go and photocopy these papers? So they go and photocopy their paper and then give it to the boss. And the boss says, okay, I'm oh, no, sorry, that just, just takes it. And that person can become vexed, become bothered. Where's my, that's good. So the boss has to sit down, big, big boss, has to sit down and go, Photocopied that so beautifully. It's really perfect. It's straight. You did the right tone. I'm so impressed. 
I'm going to give you a bonus. Like it's just that, but this is what people expect because they're used to it. It's like a drug, and I've and 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 it, it is. It's like a drug, and you've got to give it to them all the time, and it's tiring. It's very very tiring. Those people later on become where they go into personality disorders and things like that, and you've got to praise them 24/7. You don't do it that. So therefore, I think that a child. To say not to praise the child at all, I mean, I would say, um, you know, within the correct context, with the love, with your prayers, to actually say to the child, you know, that you love the child, I mean, that's not a praise, but that's good. Or to say that you are pleased with the child because it did something correct, that's okay, but you don't have to do it for every single thing. And that's why Freud had a had a whole field day about this thing with the toilet training. Because, and I've met people that have gone through this, they must have been overly praised when they were sitting on that potty when they were young. Because later on, sorry, but when they, some people when they walk out of the toilet, they've got a smile on their, on their, um, on their face, and it's like they've achieved something, and it's like, I go, what's wrong with you? And then I just delve into it a bit, and you find out later on that they were overly just, they were toilet trained, or they could be the opposite, where they're, where the parent was too strict and was um, a bad, and you didn't do the right thing, you didn't do it then, and, and you know, it becomes, there's all these extremes. So there is truth to that. How do we know the balance when we're bringing up children? And the answer is, a lot of times we don't. Because each child's different. The parent has to become the elder, in other words. The parent has to become, you ask advice as well, but the elder's not always there. But the parents have to become, in a way, spiritual fathers and mothers. They have to pray to God, just like the priest prays to God for him to be enlightened, to know how to guide their flock. The same as the parents have to pray to God and say, God, please enlighten me and help me how to bring up my child. Because it's all different. I can't give formulas. Some children need a bit of praise because they've got some type of problem. Others, you don't need to give them. Some children need to be punished. Some children don't have to be punished. You can just say to them, I, I want you to do that, and they'll do it. Some children need some stern, you know, like in the monasteries, that they, they, they say to one of the elders, some monks, you've got to be stern. Some monks, you've got to be with love because if you don't, if you become stern, they can lose it. Some you've got to do it this way, some that way, some a little bit of punishment, some a bit of more punishment. It's all different. How are we going to know with our children when you, when you get this human being into the world which has got a million factors to it? And I believe that it's got to be with God's enlightenment for you to know how to bring up that child. It's very hard to inform this. We're getting some advice here. This helps us, but ultimately you must pray to God for discernment. Just like a spiritual father asks for discernment to lead their flock, you become the first spiritual mother, spiritual father of the child, not the priest. The child doesn't come to the priest until around eight years old, man, or seven, or whatever. The first person is you. If your child is not confident to come to you, it's not going to go to the priest. It's not going to come to no one. You have to make the child be able to come up and say it's pain. So when the child falls down and cries, you have to go up to the child and, and console the child. Give it love, give it comfort. And then it begins to, when it's traumatized, when it saw something and it got scared. Once we're walking along and uh, we're walking along years ago with the family and 
some um, walking past some station and some yahoos there, they've set a light a car. And the little children that were with us, they saw that, they got scared and started crying. And I said to the parents, just explain, you know, to the child, hold them, hug them, explain to them that, you know, it's, that's nothing, don't worry, and just calm them down. If the children see things like that, or get hurt, or get traumatized, or get bullied, or get hit, or fall down, and it doesn't get that consolation, it doesn't get that, that we as adults need consolation. And we've got to find someone when we're in pain that will say, I understand what you're going through. We as adults need that. So imagine children. If you don't give them that, these children begin to enter within themselves, and this is the start of all these mental problems, where they will not open up to anyone. They're really closed. That's why day, day centres, I don't believe, are going to give our children the correct thing because there's too many children to the, to the person and the child falls down. It's not going to have time and crying and left there. When you leave children crying, when you leave children unattended, when you don't attend to their needs, then they start to develop emotional problems, psychological problems. And that's what some studies are starting to show now that children that do come out of these places, a lot of times they do have some problems. Some say the opposite. They're really uh, good and they're strong, etc. But on a spiritual point of view, I would say no. The child needs, especially for the first years of its life, it needs the mother. And that's why the children are closed and what's called repressed because they never had their needs met. Child's hungry. It wants milk. You don't leave the child without the milk. It cries, cries, cries. After a while, it's no one's coming, so it just enters in itself and becomes like a sick child. Not good. So, um, this is what I'm trying to say here, is that um, as a result, she's unable to, to, to sense God's presence. Can't even, can't even ask for God for anything. Consequently, the child develops as, as uh, she develops a self-confidence as stiff as a mar as marble, which often, back to your question, never goes away. A little bit better there. Since at times goes by, it becomes very difficult to get rid of this. What's happened to the child, which is the praising. The child, as he said, becomes stiff as marble. What does that mean? He's trying to say. The grace can't penetrate to that child. It's very hard. He's not talking about the TV. He's talking about the, the, um, the, the praise. A child has to be old enough to understand praise, which means he might have to be two, two and a half, three, before he begins to understand being praised. When I'm talking about the television, that's why I don't know that. Your, your case. When I'm talking about the television, when you have a child from naught years old, six months, 12 months, and just sitting there watching all those things, it's a different thing. Unfortunately, the first ones affected by this pride are the parents. What does it mean by that? They don't listen to them. They go against them. So here they are out of love, praise their children, and at the end their children don't listen to them and go against them because they're hard as night. And, and how can the children listen to their parents when they themselves believe that they are virtuous and know everything? Therefore, parents must look after their spiritual life because apart from themselves, 
they are also responsible for their children. God, they're not our children, we have to realize that. When, when, when people give birth to children, parents, they have to realize this is not their children, it's God's children. When you realize that, and when the children go, if God takes them early, like we said, then we say, well, God gives, God takes away. It's not our children. We are given the children to take care of. And we will give word for how we took, brought up those children. Of course, they have an excuse of having inherited, this is where we're going back to what George said, of course, they have the excuse, the children, that they have inherited their negative traits, their characteristics, from their parents. So when this has been done from young, that's not their fault because they got it from their parents from very, very young. They have no excuse, however, for not trying to get rid of them once they become aware of their existence. The problem is many times people don't become aware that they've got a problem. A lot of those children have been praised from young. When I try to help them, they can't see that, that they've even got a pride. They, they can't see it. So that's pretty bad. But if they see it and they begin to um, struggle, then that's what counts. But continue. The same applies to children. They inherit a fault from, for which they are not responsible. But they should not blame their parents for it. Now we come to that. I do remember myself, my own experience, when I came to the spiritual life, I was an older person, around 24, 25, I can't remember. And then I, um, I remember all of a sudden I began to realise all these faults that I had, all these passions. And I, understand, I began to say, look, that's how my parents brought me up. So then I began to become very negative towards my parents because I said, look at the way I am, it's because of you. See, this is wrong. And it took me a while to realize and say, well, wait a minute, now they brought me up like that, so I'm what I am because of them, but they're what they are because of their parents, and so say all of us, you know, goes back, 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 back. And so therefore I began to realize that, and, and anyway, the saints, I said to myself, this is my logic, the saints were also brought up with a lot of negative, negative traits, characteristics. And they struggled and became saints. So I said, well, Let's forget about what my parents did and let's go ahead as an adult. I have to now work on what I have and struggle with them. And that's it. That's how I did it. But I did go through that sin, that thing of blaming my parents because a lot of my problems comes from them. The way they brought me up. They didn't know because they went in the church. They have, an uh, they have an independent and free will and can discard their inheritance. Children, when they grow up, can start to say, no, this is no good what I've got. Yes, I got it from my parents or whatever, but it's no good and I'm going to now I'm gonna do something about it. If they decide that they don't want it and don't love it. So, if we're brought up where we are a person who's selfish, because that's the way our parents taught us, our parents were selfish, maybe we saw them, then we have to say, this is wrong, I don't want it, I don't love this, and I want to get rid of it. That's what God wants. And even if you don't get rid of it, you might struggle all your life and not get rid of it, but God looks at the fact that you want to get rid of it and you're trying, and that's what counts more than someone who was brought up perfect. In my opinion, the persons who has unwillingly inherited the evil and strives to get rid of it, which is what I've been saying, is more praiseworthy than the one who has inherited good qualities from his parents 
was never forced to struggle to acquire it. Some people brought up by their parents learned to be loving. They didn't have to struggle. It's natural to them because their parents taught them. To be kind, it's natural to them. Their parents taught them. They never struggled to obtain these virtues. It's there. That is good. But those who weren't brought up with it and are struggling to acquire it, in God's eyes, are worth more. Now, it sounds contradictory that we're wiping up our children in the Christian way in the first place. That's a stupid logic because we can say um, St. Mary of Egypt was a prostitute. Quite, I think... I don't know if it took her, maybe her mum or something, and therefore, but she became the greatest, one of the greatest saints in the Orthodox Church, and we even commemorate her on the fifth week of Lent. What are we going to do? Take our daughters to brothels and then say, now you go there, and then after a few years you're going to repent, and we're going to have you in an icon. Now, this is stupid logic. We must do our best to bring up our children in a holy way, to give them a chance, and remember that, yes, some of them are by nature spiritual because that's how they were taught but there are others who weren't brought up that way who don't even struggle so he's talking about the ones who say I want to struggle but how many say this is the way I am this is the way I'm brought up I'm not going to struggle and I know a lot of people actually say I'm not going to struggle it's too much work this is the way I am this is the way my parents brought me up this is what I'm going to stay so you don't want to do that do you the first one fought, whereas the second one found it ready. God's judgment will take this fact into consideration. When, for instance, a child has a father who's a thief, the child will learn to become a thief because, the, because he sees the father do it and maybe even the father teaches him to do it for her. If he lacks goodwill and finally accepts his father's inheritance. When, for instance, a child has a father who is a thief, he will also learn to steal if he lacks goodwill and finally accepts his father's inheritance. God will be very lenient in judging this child as he inherited the tendency to steal from his father when he was still very young and could not differentiate, this is important, between good and evil. A child cannot discern between what's good, what's evil. Whatever. You, that's why you don't send children to school young. They don't have to send them at all, but anyway. When you send a child five years old, four and a half to school, that child is no way is going to be able to understand what's right and what's wrong. That's why the, the people that were brought up that are children during communism, when the schools were teaching atheism in Russia, the, the, the saints, the saints would say to the parents, take your children to school at an older age, as late as possible. Eight. Because by that age, the child can understand what's right and what's wrong, and hence why we start children confession at around seven or eight. When you send them to school early, like they do now, four and a half, four, preschool, what have they been taught there? Who know? Oh, they've been taught the two mums, the two dads, you know, all of that. That stuff that's all going on in the, in the, in the um, preschools as well. Learning all these things. How's that child going to, oh, I'm going to teach it when it comes home. I'm going to teach the child when it goes home. So a child from young cannot differentiate between good and evil. Remember in schools, in Greece, I remember, I don't know now, but in the old days they used to go to school at 7th or 8th. 
In Russia, they used to go to school old. When you read the lives of saints, they said, and the saint started to learn to read and write at 10 or at 9 or at, you know, around there. But no, we've got to send our school, children to school at 4 when it can't even hold the pencil and start to learn to write A and B and other things. What, what for? Apart from the education, but, but plus it's learning things from people who are alien to orthodoxy. So, if you, you know, homeschooling is the best, and a lot of people are doing it, especially in America. But I would say is to try and keep the child out of school in the beginning, if, and then if you have to, let, let it go when it's older. But it's very difficult to have a child from young that get brainwashed, and that's why at the end of the day, they're so confused and become hostile towards their parents because you're telling them this, the school's saying differently, the TV's saying differently, everyone's saying differently, the church says this, and at the end, the child becomes a mess. I found that section actually, um, and there's one little part that she says here. He speaks about a saintly man. He looks at, I'll read it to you, it says, um, when, a, when man stops thinking and acting evilly, God's goodness draws near to him. Then childlike innocence appears with spiritual maturity, with discernment of God, and man knows the hearts of people and does not draw human conclusions. In other words, when a person becomes enlightened, they can a lot of times see that person is leading a spiritual life and that person's not leading a spiritual life. That person's doing evil things, that person's not doing evil things. That's okay. And he goes, the most important thing is that when he discerns the saintly man from the criminal one, he considers the criminal better than himself and shows love towards that criminal and prays for his salvation. Why does he look at that criminal better than himself? The saint thinks that that thief or that evil person could have committed even more crimes than what they did. But they restrained. And God looks at that restraining. Even if the person, remember I said that example of Elder Bezos where he said a person learned from young to kill people and he could have killed 15 people from nature. They were born like that. They were not born, they were brainwashed like that. And, this, and a person does struggles hard and might in one day only kill three. And then it says that um, in God's eyes, his effort not to, his effort that he didn't kill the other twice is, is, is counted as something. We look at things as being a person being perfect, doing no sin, and that's the person that's good. Not realizing that someone can be doing sins, in, and we can see they're doing sins, and we say, oh, forget it. That person's not going to be saved, or that person's off, or I'm better than that person. But in God's eyes, even though that person's doing sins, he could be better than us because he has a, he could do this many sins, but he's doing this many sins. And that's what he's trying to say about the criminal. And he says, um, he takes into consideration the condition in, in condition which the criminal grew up, the, the elder, and obviously that's from God, that God looks at the person, but in this case the elder says, he looks at the person and says, how was that thief or that person brought up? Um, in, which, in, in which the criminal grew up. He looks at the hereditary traits, the, what's natural within him. 
how he was brought up, how he was born, for example, and all the evil opportunities given to him, that this person, when he was growing up, was given a lot of evil opportunities to become what he became. And, um, and this is what God would look at. God will judge everyone according to their background in every aspect. Education, the way they were brought up, their social status, every single thing will be looked at by God. We don't. We don't look at everything. We just look at a few things and say, oh, that person did. That's it. That's it. That, that's all we want to look at. We judge like that. But that's not how God looks at it. And that's not how the saints looked at it. So it says here, at that, at the same time, he examines himself. The saint now looks at himself and says, perhaps, who perhaps did not respond to the many good opportunities that God gave him, and thus with humility and pain prays. Now, in other words, the saint says to himself, I've been given a lot of opportunities to know God. I've been given a lot of opportunities to lead a spiritual life. But have I taken those opportunities properly? May I not give word because I, sh I could have put in more effort? Perhaps the thief or the criminal or the evil person puts more effort into not doing, say, as I said, he does this, he can do this many sins. He might put in effort and do that many sins. He actually puts a lot of effort not to sin. There's other ones. But we who have more opportunities put in this much effort. Um, and by thinking like this, look, I, I like to give examples as a teacher. I, um, when I first started, when I first came to the church, I was already a teacher. So I was going into the staff rooms and I had to deal with teachers that didn't, that weren't orthodox. Now, when you're young in the faith and you kind of, you have a, like a, a silly, idea that, you know, people are insignificant or people are not anything because they're not orthodox and all these ridiculous things that a lot of us think about when we first come into the church. Oh, a lot of us do that. That, that, that that's what I think. And then, um, I didn't like that because I felt uncomfortable about it. I felt there was something wrong because it was judging. And, I was, and then somehow, with God's help, I came to the decision of the following. Oh, and kids too, when you have to deal with kids. Sometimes they would do really gross things and they were really uh, horrible behaviour and just blasphemy and whatever else you can think of. Whether they were saying filthy things or whether they were saying blasphemous things or whatever, and you have to be subjected to all this. And then I would start to become angry or upset or even hateful towards them. And then I think it was I, with God's help, I began to understand the following, which is exactly what I read here. I'm not saying that I'm saying that way. I think we, I think God gives gives grace if we really want to do the right thing. And I began to say, "What a second! I yes, I'm Orthodox, and I've been given the opportunity. One, I was born Orthodox. Two, I've been overseas. I've been to Manaphos. I've been here. I have the church. I have all these opportunities. These people." who I'm looking down at or getting angry or whatever, they haven't got these opportunities. Some of them were not, have no idea of anything to do with the church, anything to do with anything. And I said, what happens if they were given that opportunity? 
perhaps they would have actually taken it and been far better than me. And then I began to actually change my whole attitude towards them and go, well, God knows. Because God knows if that child who's blaspheming on purpose, maybe because he knows I'm religious, maybe saw me go to church, because one of my schools I used to teach, there was a church across the road in Liverpool, and maybe they saw me go to church in the morning and then go, so they'll, they'll do it on purpose. Or the demons make them do it, whatever, it doesn't matter. They'll blaspheme on purpose to bother you. And then I said to myself, well, if that person changes, if God gives that grace to that person, God knows how that person would use that grace. And then I began to condemn myself and say, how do I know that that person would take that grace and really struggle and be more fervent than what I am? And therefore I changed completely and that calmed me down and that was the end of that. And that's how we should look at all people who are non-Orthodox or other religions, etc., etc. If we look at it like that, which is how the elder says, I think we will find that we will calm down and not be judgmental and understand that we who know the truth, as Christ says, if we don't do it, we'll be whipped more, punished more than those who don't know the truth or were never given the opportunity to know the truth. So instead of going around and yapping and going, oh, look at that and they're this and they're gay and they're, they've gone drugs and they're drunk and they're this and they're whatever, instead of going into that, why don't we say, wait a second, I know more than them so on the last day, actually, they might be in a better position than me because I know the truth and am I struggling? Am I doing anything about it? Am I really repenting? Am I putting in all my efforts? And they actually might be in a better position because they don't know. Uh, yes. So this is the type of positive thinking I was talking about, is to look positively about these things. So this, this kind of thoughts can really transform you I mean, you, you know, your thinking, your way of thinking at people, at things, you know, not to, like, last talk about the evil eye, who's done the evil and that, it takes you to negative thinking. I had no problems, I had no problems with your comment that you thought that in, as, um, on a pastoral level, you think that perhaps my presentation of that topic may affect because we could have some saints that say, I'm not going to bring that up because it might not be good. Let's just say, so I had no problems. That's why I was listening to you. I go, oh, you know, that's okay, even though that's my decision. And if I, as a priest, decide I'll give work to God and if that's my what my conscience told me, I'll do it. But I did not get any, I didn't have a problem with you on the level that you thought perhaps on a pastoral level what he's saying may not be good at this time. That's okay. Because we have some saints that did it that way. We have saints. You notice when you realize the saints, some saints said, I'm going to say the truth and say it straight out. And others say, I'm not going to say, I'm going to say it like this. That was no problem. Where I became problematized with yourself was when you said that you don't believe in something that the church teaches. From that time on, this becomes a rejection of uh, the church, and that's why I asked you, do you? What are you saying that you that you don't believe in the evil eye? And you said no. Then I would say to you, which I'm saying now because you said it publicly and you brought it up again, that that is not good for you 
because you are rejecting with the church. Different if you think that it's not a good environment. That's your opinion. You can have that. And we have, as I said, examples of saints who, you know, some, some said it like that, some said it like that. But that's what's called pastoral theology. It's, you know, one way or another. It depends on circumstance. It depends on the person's character. You know, there's no one way or that way. It's called pastoral theology. However, when you reject, like you did, a teaching of the church, then you are putting yourself in danger of losing God's grace. Because this, and you did it in front of everyone and in front of the kids, this is not good because um, that is what's, uh, what's called willful rejection of something. And even after I read the material from the elder and from the priest book, you continued in that vein. And therefore, I would say to you, and I, if you said it to me privately, I would be more careful how I speak to you. I'll speak to you in a way which is tried to bring you to. But because you did it publicly, not that it bothered me, you did it publicly, you are can you can sway because you actually are saying in front of people, I do not believe in that church teaching. And therefore, you are actually setting yourself up against the church, which you are putting yourself in danger. That's the thing. Now, on the positive and negative, the church, like in chemistry, like in maths, we have positives and negatives. Christ, he spoke many positive things, but he also, when he had to, spoke negative things. Wherefore, he said, no one said, said English, well to you, Pharisees, hypocrites, and you are like whitewashed tombs, and then he got his whip out and he started going, man, he overturned the table. That was very negative. Then he spoke positive. And then he spoke negative, then he spoke positive, then he did a miracle, then he did this, and then now there's a lot of things. So we have a balance in the church. And someone who just sits down and just says positive, 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 cannot maybe do, be doing their duty. And we have the example of the elder, where he's calling kids with teeth and women with makeup as beasts. And he says, when I see a woman with makeup, it makes me vomit, he says. Is that positive? If you look at the Radha in the Pilarium, the there is a whole list of all superstitions and evils and different ways that people do magic and they talk about bones and ashes and soaps and pins and needles and this, it's all in there. So, you know, to refute it, it's like saying that uh, you're putting yourself above. And you've got to be careful that we don't become an enemy of the church through our rejection of something. Father Paiso says, let's gain humility. Don't go swimming too much into the deep, because if you're not a good swimmer, means if you're not a person of prayer, of humility, of repentance, you can go swimming in the dogmas, swimming in the church, in the teachings of the church, deep teachings, and then you can actually drown. So my suggestion to you is that, I don't know your spiritual um, life, but judging from your reaction a bit, I would say you should concentrate on your inner life and don't get involved with too many controversial matters which are on the internet, which the elder talks about as well in a negative way. He says don't get involved because you'll get bogged down, confused, and you can fall into deception. Because of that, people then become uh, old characters that say that 
other new characters don't have grace and this and that. It goes on and on and on. People become deceived. So the elder says, be careful of all those things. Have humility. And even if the priest is saying, some saying something wrong. Because I'm not in incremental council, you see. So, um, as I said, only two things are perfectly right. Incremental councils and the Pope. Right? The Pope is perfect in his own eyes. But we, of course, know he's not. But let's just say, I'm not an incremental council and I'm not a Pope. So I could have said wrong things. You come with humility, listening to what I'm saying, to learn, pick up the good things, and you say you accidentally believe something that I said which is wrong, God will help you, but always do it with peace. In other words, don't become uh, terrorised. Because terrorisation is a sign it's coming not from the Holy Spirit. So you need to be calm, look at things, and it may be better to talk about it later, think about it, pray about it, like the person I said before, the person was in church. The person heard something that was bad. He felt like shouting out. If he did, he would have been justified because it turned out that what was being taught was a heresy. But he didn't. He had the humility to go and give it to someone else who knows more. If you are not sure of something, you're better off to go and speak to someone, write a letter, speak to people that are spiritual and see what they say. But by bringing it up like this, like continually, um, publicly, I don't think you're doing good for yourself, but I don't think you're doing good for the people. Because you are openly going against something which the people heard came from the elder, came from the prayer book of the priests. So, that's it, 9.30. There's a few other things, but that's okay. We went through, well, I'm, I'm happy today. You should Finally. Finally, I'm happy because we went through um, a lot, a lot of things, and we went into a lot of, in a lot, went into the positive aspects, but we also have that the church also has negative aspects, which when it is negative, really, it's positive. So even if something sounds negative, for example, the elder says, that I said, women that wear makeup, it's really bad, and this and that. It's next. St. John Chrysostom actually goes even to, to really negative things. <clears throat> he goes that women that wear makeup, is they're, they're what's called um, attempting men, and he goes on to a lot of details there. Very negative. But his negative comment is positive because he's saying that out of love for that. I believe that makeup is a passion. I think it's very hard, especially if they've been brought up from young to wear it. And it's just difficult. I would prefer to say stop it, but I know it's a passion. And some people are possessed, and not in the sense of doing but possessed with doing it. And as, as men have got their own passions. I've got my passions which I can't stop. If I understand that I've got passions which I can't stop, I have to realise that those passions are bad. It's, a, it's not a good thing. It's against the canons. It shouldn't do it. But it's a passion. So I can't sit here and say it in a way and say, I don't want anyone to come here that wears makeup. I don't want anyone to kiss the cross, even though some saints did. I don't want people to do this. I don't want people to do that. You know, because it's not that. I can still say it. Yes, it's negative. But it's for positive. Because some people will say, I never really knew that makeup was that. It's not a struggle. If a woman has a habit of wearing makeup, and she struggles, and she puts it on every day, and then she heard this talk today, for example, and she believed what I said. 
and then she, she says to herself, what well, was negative, she got offended, she got upset, which is usually what happens. That's, you know, that, that, that's natural. But then she goes, no, I can see what he's saying. Which saints have make up? Mother of God, all, the, all our saints. It's, it's, it's not right. And if you read all the elders, they talk against them. And that woman says, I'm going to struggle now. I don't want to do something which is against God. So she struggles. Two, three days, she doesn't wear makeup. Then she falls. She wears it the next day. Then she might not wear it again. Then she goes out. Then she goes possessed and she goes possessed in another way, meaning of her passions. Four or five days, she gets into it. She can't stop and becomes worse. Where people can't differentiate whether it's Ronald McDonald or it's her. And then, um, and then she struggles again. In God's eyes, even though she might be still wearing it, she's struggling. But that's negative. People And people, not yourself, because I'm sure you agree with the makeup thing, but there are other people who would say, priests as well, they go, why are you speaking against those things? And you're going to make people run away from the church and you're going to cause problems negative and it's this, it's that. Yes, it's negative, but it can be positive. Yes, the evil eye can sound negative, but it's positive. And, if we're, and as we read today, the elder was going on about this, and the demons of this, and the cursing. Oh, you should read his section. Have you read his section on cursing? His section on cursing is, um, is you know, like... Like swearing. No, cursing, when you curse, you know, may you rot. May you, um, like it says there, he says, there was an old man in the bus, and there was a young person that was sprawled out like a pig on the seat. And the old man wanted to sit down, and the guy wouldn't move. And he said, may you be in that position, may you stay in that position, something like that. He cursed him. And that person later on became paralyzed and stayed in that tavern, as we say in the Greek. Basically, that was it for him. And, um, and then somehow the elder got cognate. I can't remember the exact story, and the elder helped him to remember that, what he did, and the answer, that's because that's why you're sick. Repent of that and you'll get better. And he repented and you got better. But other people have said that the elders said that some people got cursed and their whole family was wiped out. That's, that's negative. But it's true. We have to be careful how? That we, if someone curses us and it's not a, it's not a pro proper reason, then the curse jumps off and goes back onto that person. No problem. But if someone curses us because we have done something to that to that person and that person becomes angry, like we do something special, we do something to poor people, to widows, to orphans, to people that are, you know, maybe not as intelligent and trick them and this and that, and those people get angry, yes, it's still wrong, they will give word for, for cursing, but the person who gets cursed can suffer and the whole family. Isn't that negative? What does the elder bring it up for? Now the question is, perhaps he brought it up to, for a certain audience, maybe I shouldn't bring it up. But on my conscience as a priest tells me, I should bring it up. Because curses are true. That's what my conscience is. I will give word according to my conscience. You will not give word for me. I give word. The priest has an authority, the priest has a conscience, and the priest has to do what his conscience tells him. If his conscience is wrong, he will give word to God, not you. No, no one else. He will give word to God. We have to be careful that we are not becoming enemies of that priest's conscience, which is trying to say the correct thing, and we thinking that we're doing the right thing are actually doing the devil's works 
by saying to the priest, stop like that idiot that came to my place after talking, was saying, stop talking, stop talking. Stop talking. Why do you want me to stop talking? What's his problem? What did I say wrong? Couldn't even tell me what I even said wrong. Because there was something wrong with him. Sorry? The Jehovah Witness fellow who, you know, and, and there was something wrong with him. And there's others. Sorry, but there are people today who would wish, if, if they could not have me to do the talks, they would have not to do the talks. That's okay. That's, that, that, that's, they're only giving me more credibility. Because if I was here teaching wrong things, if I was really teaching serious wrong things, no one would try to stop me. No one would try to stop me. But the fact that I'm trying to say the right thing in, in sincerity, there are people who say, don't go there, or like the ones in Melbourne years ago who actually got all my cassettes, I went to different people's houses and actually said, you got, you got his cassettes here, yeah, give them to me. And they lit a bonfire as if they were in the communist in Russia time, and they were actually burning his bonfire because of the talks. What, what was in the talks? Perhaps they thought I was too negative. Yes. A bit louder, sorry. Just in regards to makeup and all these things and the passions that we go through, I read somewhere that when a person hates something, it's much easier for them to overcome it. And the only way I'm going to hate the passion is if I'm aware it's a passion. So, the same way if I'm aware, for example, that you know, before you become a Christian, you, you might not know that lust is bad. When you find out it's bad, you start to worry. And how do you find out it's bad? Through the teachings, so through, through, the the through preaching, yeah. through the gospel, through um, the books, etc. And in regards to makeup, it's not just something the elders said, it's in the Bible. It's not what St. Paul speaks about it in regards to how we should you know, progress the story. But of course, mm-hmm. men, there's men in that world today as well. You men in the world. So when you come to realize these things and you see that, you know what, if I don't do this, maybe it's better for me, then with that attitude, you can overcome it. We are enlightened through preaching, we're enlightened through our reading, through the gospel, you are correct. And by knowing that, then we know. Like I came into the church, I never knew certain things were wrong, but it was only when I found out, then I said, okay, oh, that's wrong. Then we start to struggle against it, then we realise how bad it is, how much it's in us, and that gives us the sense of our weakness, which is what we're going to realise later on. And you are correct, we need education, we need preaching. Strictly speaking, I should be more strict about makeup. But in the old days, I used to. But I don't do it now. Do you know why? I, mean, I still will say, like I, I slipped it in today. Why? Because it's so bad in people and so um, strong that uh, I don't want people to have the impression that I'm backward or something like that, even though I'm not. But it, I think it has to be approached in a different way these days because it's become part of society. And you you still say it's wrong, but you do it in a different way. But if it was the old days, in the old days, the priest would say, do not wear makeup, you're going to go to hell, this is bad, and this and that. You know what I mean? They were more strict because society, it was very exceptional for women. Now everyone's got it. So it's very difficult. I notice here that hardly no one wears it, which is, which is excellent. And the true beauty, which even the pagan women used to say, is that they were jealous of Christian women because even though they didn't wear makeup, they, they radiated spiritual beauty. And, um, and that's what women have to understand. But even though theoretically they understand it, it's because they were brought up from young. It's like a, like a habit. And I feel sorry for them. 
like, like I'm going to get a full side for the passions that I've got, that I'm trying to get rid of. It's a passion. But you are correct. Through education, through the preaching, people get to know. If you, and even if it sounds negative, it's not. It's negative when you say, eat, like what I said, Ronald McDonald, some of them got Ronald McDonald. Now, some people can get offended with that, and you know, and some people can say, why are you saying that, and you're putting women down on the track. You know, you say it a bit, and they themselves, some of them actually say, yeah, well, what is that your fact? I think I do look like Ronald, or look like um, the Joker from the new Batman show. But the point there is that that approach might not be wrong. If you said about that, why did you bring that up about Ronald? I would say, yes, um, perhaps I shouldn't have. It can come across negative. It can come across that people can get offended, and I could do the same thing without saying it. That's okay. But if you said to me, not you, or someone else said to me, you must not speak about makeup at all, excuse me, who are you? You know, you can't tell me not to speak about something which is against the church. That's the thing. It's pastoral approaches, uh, Gregory. Why? Because you, in the beginning when you used to come to the talks, which is interesting, a few talks back, which I left your comments in the tape on purpose when you were thinking, and you were trying to understand, you know, because you're an educated man, an engineer, etc., you're trying to understand a lot of the things that I was saying using your intellect. And I helped you, I think, with God's help, that I helped you understand, and that's why you said it quite nicely, because you're speaking from experience. And I said to you, Gregory, you can't understand everything. You have to realise that sometimes you've got to leave things behind when you're not ready. And it was very nice, I was actually listening to you when you were speaking, that you were speaking from, not theory, you experienced it yourself, because you were one of the ones, which turned out good that day, because there's other people here too, who try to understand things intellectually, but you can't. And you can't understand everything. You can't understand. There's no way someone can see you for three hours and understand everything that I said. I'm speaking from, I'm speaking what the elders say, but I'm also speaking from my own years of experience as a priest, as a person, etc., etc. There's no way I expect you people to understand a lot of those things. That's why on purpose I sprinkle. I do deep things, then I leave that, and come out to a little bit, something a little bit different, and go back 
for back quadrupism. It's a teaching technique. If I deep, go through all deep things, I'll lose most of you because some of you will not understand it. I mean, you're less of a person. That's correct. Leave it. Uh, but you are also correct when you say that you shouldn't dispute because by disputing publicly, this is not a forum for dispute. And as a teacher, I'll tell you, I have to be in control. And still, that's the way I am because that's my nature. I once saw on, well, I once heard on on um, internet. It's called Orthodox Teen Talks. It's an American thing, and it's like teenagers talking in front of the priest, and it's like they it's a free for all. They can say whatever they want. I call it the spiritual brothel. And they asked the question. The question was, um, so there was, I think the priest was trying to get them in that in that psychological stupid way of making them speak. And they said, what do you see in the opposite sex? And the girl was saying, um, oh, it depends if I'm drunk, ha, 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 he, he, he. I can't do that. But in my classroom, I used to say, I can say jokes. No kid's allowed to say a joke. That's how I was. I'll say the joke. They can have a laugh, break a little bit of the modernness, get back to the equations. And that's the way I am here. I don't believe in... Um, these type of things of people disputing, not because of my pride, but it doesn't work. People can come here to listen, and if they, you know, if they're not sure of something, go away like you said, think about it, come and ask me later, whatever. Ask the question in humility, but not to dispute. It's not spiritually beneficial. Some churches do this. They have a group of people and let everyone say whatever they want. And while the people are saying whatever they want, they're mixing in poison. And I can't do that because I've got a conscience which says, I can't let people listen to wrong things. I'm the one who gives word for this talk. When I die, I'm going to give word for what I said today. And if someone said something which is wrong, or I allowed someone to say something which is wrong and I did nothing about it, then I will give word. So that's why I don't believe, which is correct, I don't believe in this um, free-for-all, right? I don't like it. Not because I'm correct 100%, it's order. When the, when the preacher is saying something in church, we can't, while, the ch while he's preaching, <laughs> I don't agree, in the middle of the church. You can't do that. The same here, you can, I don't want to hear that people don't agree. I like to hear people say, I'm a little bit confused. It's beautiful because I'm a confused of that because of that, that and that. And then when the person asks for humility, then I can answer to the best of my ability. If I don't know, I don't know. If I'm wrong, you go to the bishop, you speak to the bishop and say, look, I went to a talk, this person said this, this and this, and I got confused with it and I got scandalized and I think he's saying the wrong thing. Do it. Have what? But to dispute in front of everyone is not humble. Yes? Um, you mentioned the talk about meditations and presence. Uh, is there a place for those things and tranquil ones as well? Elder Paisu says that there is a place for medications and that sometimes people have to take, especially when they're in danger themselves, they're gone, their minds have gone into complete fantasy and, they're and it's dangerous. Yes. 
but he also goes on to say that the majority of the problems to do with mental illnesses is that a, for a person is, is this pride. Not all of them, but a majority. First, the most important is to realize their own state of wretchedness, which is what Evangelos said. Number two, after he realizes his state, is to repent, go to confession, and must never listen again to the voice of his own thoughts, which is the negative thoughts, not thoughts about what's right and what's wrong in the church. Instead, he must follow the advice of his spiritual father. And thirdly, after he becomes aware of his miserable state um, of being, he just he should constantly ask God for his mercy through the Jesus prayer so Christ will help him and his divine grace will turn him, turn his inside him, return inside him. One can only be cured and saved through humbleness. The only miraculous therapy I know of, humility can only save us. That's for that. But there are some mental illnesses which are outside of that as a person's really. But in general, and I believe that, the majority of mental illnesses comes from pride, unrepentance, apostasy from God, etc. But not all of them. Yes? So a bit loud, I know. Because I've started a little bit about this stuff, probably counseling and yes. so on, there is a place for medication. I think what's wrong in our society today is that people get put on medication and then that's it. There's no help to try and figure out oh. what's going on with this yeah. person. The whole idea of the medication is to calm the person down mentally so they can get some peace with their body to the point where they're ready to crack. And then with that, have some help. I think that's also what all the bases, and I've read somewhere else that they're not going to get help and they're going to go medication. It doesn't fix the problem. As they start feeling good and all of a sudden they stop the medication, they're back to they started. The whole idea is you're on medication, you need help. You need to work on these problems, whether it's the depressed or the serious issues with the council or whatever it may be. It is, it is here, and I wanted to read it, but because it was getting late, but he actually said when the person is medicated, starts to calm down the mind, which is exactly what you said. At the same time, we must show him love and try to correct his negative thinking and persuade him not to listen to his own thoughts. This is what he means by negative thinking. Not what I'm saying about the evil either. That This is what he's going to do. A person who's going to crackers within himself, thinking negative things, and persuade him not to listen to his own thoughts. As his condition is improving, the dose of his medication should be reduced. This should last for a while. When the mind of our fellow man moves away from humility, it escapes into a fantasy world. When he takes medication, he stops thinking or imagining things. When his fantasy world is limited, then he starts feeling sleepy, tired, hungry, because pills make you heavy. And then he, then he starts to say, hey, I'm not what I thought I am. He begins to become humbled, and that helps him. There is no magical therapy that will automatically cure someone whose mind has gone astray due to his constant preoccupation with his false thinking. There are, however, certain steps in order to recover, which is repentance, etc., etc. Most people who repent, start in a spiritual life, their mental illnesses disappear. However, there are some who, you know, schizophrenic, serious, psychotic, they've lost their mind completely that. So, yes, you are correct. That's what I said in the beginning, that there are, you cannot reject medication altogether. Like the body gets sick, so does the mind. And people might need it. It's just overdone, or if they're on it, there's no help. No one talks to them. No one shows them love. No one prays for them. Yeah, I'll give you an example quickly. There was a person that was committed to a psychiatric hospital. Remember I said to you, sometimes we have to save miracles on purpose, not to put ourselves up 
priests, we don't put ourselves up. Priest to priest, they've got the power, and that's the end of it. That's what St. Cosma says. You see a king, you see a priest. You go to the priest first, you kiss his hand, then you go to the king. You see an angel when you're walking on the road, you see a priest. You go to the priest first and kiss his hand, then the angel. I'm not saying that because I'm a priest and that's what I want. No, that's the truth. Now, um, there was a fellow who was committed to a psychiatric, oh, he lost it completely. He um, went to some type of psychosis, he lost reality. And he was in the, they wanted, and, um, and I was told that they were going to do electric shock, and I don't like that. Anyway, they, they do those things, but I don't like it. I got a bit upset with that, that I thought, oh, that's really bad, you know, you know, send currents into his head and all that. I don't even know if they use that much now. Do they use that much? They still do? So they still believe that it's being beneficial? Okay. But some psychiatrists don't like it. They still believe it's wrong, don't they? Yeah. So, I gathered a few Christians together and I said, let's do um, an unction for this person, in, even though the person wasn't there, let's do the unction. Because this person had stopped eating, so they were going to put intravenous into him. They are going to put the electric shock. So we started the unction service back at the monastery and we did that. It took about an hour and a half. Commemorated him right through. And the other Christians there that knew him, relatives of his, were praying for him. Because not just the priests, it's the whole thing. And uh, as soon as the service finished, and this is, this is the truth, as soon as I said through the prayers of the Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, and the God of Mistresses, dream, dream, it was the, um, the phone. And I opened it up. And it was the father. And he goes, at this moment, he's now asking for food and they're not going to do the electric shock treatment to try. That's the, that's the, um, that's it. That was a person who had lost it completely. There's an example of prayer. And a lot of people who are mentally ill need prayer. Remember Elder Ephraim, who's now in America, I think I've heard this, someone told me in Greece, that he went to a mental institution and as he was walking through the mental institution, a lot of people started reacting demonically, which also shows that some mental problems are demonic of nature. And it comes from, you know, could be from curses, could be from magic, could be from their sins, it could be from a lot of reasons for those people to have a demonic influence. It's very hard to know. How do we know? We don't, a lot of times we don't know. What's it come from? God knows. That's why we commemorate the person. And with love, pray for that person. Which is what I told you when you came out and told me that you're going to be doing counselling. And I said to you straight out, straight away, as soon as you told me, I just lashed out in a nice way. Of course, I said to you, you must pray before you go next to these people to help them. Because if you say the wrong word, you could be the cause of wrong thing. The same with me. When I come here to do these talks, what do you think? I just come, you know, come here and then start talking. This is preparation. And I also ask other people to pray for me while the talk's going on so that I can actually say the right thing and make sure I don't say something wrong. So while I'm doing the talks, talk, there's... I've got someone else who could be doing a malevolent at that time or an activist for me to help me to know what to say and help you to understand what I'm saying. It's not just come here and just, oh, here's my notes and start yapping. It's very serious when we are speaking to people. 
It's very serious when we help people. It's very serious what you're doing. It's very serious parents that are bringing up children. It's very serious everything. We have to take things serious. Uh, okay. I wish you all a uh, blessed nativity. And I ask, um, like, I pray for you. You also should pray for the priest, for your priest, for me, etc. That God, as St. Paul asked, he said, pray for me that I can give the word of God. Well, if St. Paul asked, he's full of the Holy Spirit, how much more we should ask. In the services, when you're at home, pray for yourselves to be enlightened and for the priest to be enlightened to give the word of, as well. Through the presence of the Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, our Christian service. Amen.